Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey, greetings, guys. Welcome so much to the Bogo Pass Horror Podcast. Very special episode for you guys today. As usual, from Boston, my name is Scott. And uh, coming to you from L.A. is a heavily medicated Jim Towns. Uh, Ooh, this might be fun I'm, today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a spicy conversation, I, I think. I'm uh, I'm currently passing a kidney stone, so uh, there's, a, there's a good deal of painkillers in the mix today. So, yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, very special guest joining us from Castle of Horror, uh, from the band Rise from Fire, the band Deserts of Mars. I'll say, Tony, we've got a new nickname for you so going from from this moment forth your nickname is now the baron of positivity so mr tony silva oh, nice. yeah wow i tried that that's cool you uh, need a cape or something yeah well i you know <laughs> i've told this on castle of horror but usually when i sign into that i uh I use the the moniker the Dracula because my former <laughs> drummer's mom, uh, she's from Peru and she couldn't remember my name, and so she was like, "Oh, your friend, um, Billy, the the the, the Gothic, the Dracula." The <laughs> <Not> Dracula. <laughs> he goes. Tony? Oh, yeah. So, like, a lot of times my handles will be the Dracula because actually, that was so, and she's so nice and, like, that's, you funny. know, she didn't mean anything. She was just like, oh, well, he looks, you know, kind of dark, long hair, you know. But you, you knew what she meant. Yeah. 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 He's like, <laughs> you know, he knew, she, he knew who she was talking about when she said, that. exactly. So, I, I, that stuck. And I use, like, every time I sign in to Castle of Horror, the Dracula. Nice. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, thanks for having me. This is really cool. I've been a big Universal fan for years and years and years. I think I think Frankenstein was the first movie, first horror movie I truly remember from when we lived in Kerrville. There was a like you know every Saturday they had this thing called Monster Theater, and I think that's what started my love of horror was just the the Universal Frankenstein. Then progressed, and I watched more and more Wolfman, Dracula, you know, classics. And uh, and Tony and I go back to uh, to college together like twenty years ago. We went to. Savannah College of Art and Design together, and that's how yeah. we met. So it's funny, like everything is circled back around, and we're we're both kind of doing the same thing now. And me in LA, you in Austin, uh, obviously, it's, you know, Scott in Boston. It, it's cool, man. Your name. The first time I ever spoke to Jim on the phone, so he and I, when we were first hooked up online, and we were talking about that came out wrong when we first met. When we first uh, introduced ourselves online. <laughs> we first started chatting online, very innocently enough about uh, podcasting. Um, so we had a, a phone call and, you know, we we're just throwing around, you know, I'd mentioned to Jim that I it was really into uh, Castle of Horror, just the format and the flow and just the fun you guys are having. And then he immediately was like, oh, I went to school with Tony Salvaggio. So I'd say like within 30 seconds of our first conversation, Tony, you were mentioned. So you were, I feel like wow. you are, you were in the, uh, yeah, like you the and, rock of this show. Yeah, definitely. You wow. and Jason Henderson and everything. Yeah, no, it was really, it was cool, man. Yeah, I've met I like a lot of good guys through, through Tony, my, my special effects guy, Damon Shelton, I met through Tony. Uh, Tony's one of those guys that if 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 I meet someone through through him, I know that person's gonna be a good dude because I know Tony wouldn't suffer any d bags. So you know, there you go. Yeah, and I always try to pay it forward. I guess that's yeah. the Baron of Positivity thing means a lot to me because I that's really right. try. Like I feel like so many times there's so many not so great people in the world that the people who are good have to work like four times harder. There you go. And and that's okay, you know. 
we do that. But, mm -hmm. you know, I try to think empathy and just trying to pay it forward. That's cool. You know, Damon? Like, it's such a small world. It really is. And it, and it comes That's across so, cool. so well, Tony. I mean, as someone that, I mean, we've never met face to face, but just knowing you from just your work and in, um, in podcasting, it, it absolutely comes across. Like, without having met you, I just know, I mean, just from listening to you and just the context and the way you put things that you are just a truly, you know, good guy. And that's just, you know, it's, it's really such a pleasure to have you and um, just, Thanks. You know, three like-minded people having some fun with House of Dracula, the 1944 oh, yeah. film. So, uh, yeah, when we knew Tony was joining us, we basically opened up the uh, Universal Catalog Forum, obviously couldn't touch something we've done before basically said tony you pick and you kind of settled down on um we want to do a one of the monster mashes so it was you know we talked a bit about frankenstein meets wolfman and uh house of frankenstein and then finally tony you landed on house of dracula so let's talk about that really quick why house of dracula uh well i watched all three and also i think subconsciously since this is laser focused on Universal. When I was watching these Universal uh, movies as a kid, uh, there were also like those Marvel, Wolfman, Dracula yeah. uh, story records. The I think Power was one of them and they did like G.I. Joe and all that. But mm -hmm. I had those. And so in the mix of all of that were these Marvel Monster Mash stories. So I think subconsciously I was like, oh, well, you know, and also I wanted to pick something I hadn't done for Castle of Horror because we did like a Universal retrospective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I went through the three bigger Monster Mash movies and said, and this was kind of my favorite because it had the most interesting, I don't know if it's the best movie of <laughs> Universal, but it has a lot of just so many interesting ideas. It does. Yeah. Um, I feel like also it, it is kind of not as, I, I feel kind of bad because, uh, you know, Larry Talbot's arc uh, through the first two kind of leads into this. And so we're missing some of that. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like this had the most interesting ideas and kind of cool stuff. So I do recommend, because there is a through line for the other two, I do recommend watching those. Uh, luckily, on the uh, Blu-ray set, uh, the Wolfman Blu-ray set, yeah. all three are on one disc. So you can just binge them. Yeah, you can you just want. rip through all of them. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great trilogy. And it's I, I, we'll get more into this, obviously, as we go in. But I, I think... I think Larry Talbot is a character unique in modern cinema, a, a character whose only motivation is to die. It's all yeah. he wants is to die. And it's the one thing he can't do. And I've, I've never seen it. If it, if I've seen it done in a similar fashion, I've never seen it done as well over such a long period of, of, you know, uh, of films and stuff. And I think the specialness of that is, is part and parcel with Lon Chaney Jr. But we'll, we'll get into that obviously as we get into it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So yeah, let's start digging right into this. So um, starring, as you mentioned, Lon Chaney Jr. as Lawrence Talbert, the Wolfman, John Carradine as Count Dracula, Martha O'Driscoll as the best name ever, Melissa Morell. I love that. I've never heard of Melissa before, but very pretty. That's like a weird type of mushroom or something. <laughs> uh, Melissa Morell, look out, don't eat that one. <laughs> funny um so one of our favorites on the show lionel atwell as yeah. inspector holtz and um so one thing i did i mean i thought i knew a lot about about um lionel atwell and understood that he got sick but i guess uh, during the filming of this movie or maybe just before had realized or was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer yeah. so you know was filming this role or filming this movie understanding that you know, he was, you know, had a terminal illness. So it's something I, I hadn't known before. Um, Oslo Stevens as Dr. Franz Edelman or Edelman, I guess. Edelman, yeah. Edelman. <laughs> Edelman. 
Not to add them on. Uh, Jane Adams as Nina, the hunchback. The cute little hunchback. That's another thing that's great is, oh my uh, God. You know, woman as a hunchback kind of throws, we've yeah. seen it. It's got such a history. And this is the first time I really recognized that I'd seen that. So that's another reason why I want to do it. It's put a, a twist so many it, interesting yeah. ideas. And she's that's not really evil. Cool. She's not ugly. No. I mean, no, just, she's, yeah. And she's beautiful. She's this beautiful person with, right. with one, you know, this is marked hunch. issue. <laughs> Uh, Glenn Strange coming back as the Frankenstein monster. And of course, when he's on the credits, we got to mention him. Jack Pierce came back um, for his just amazing makeup work. You know, obviously Chaney and and Strange. And this is his final uh, iteration of uh, Frankenstein and the Wolfman. Because after the next time we see them in um, Abbott and Costello, it's Bud Westmore's team. Yeah. So, you know, Jack's swan song and um so this one was actually originally i guess the early drafts of the movie had this one um they were trying to come right off of actually i think this one was written shortly after frankenstein meets wolfman so the working title of this early on was wolfman versus dracula and i think the plan was to have bella lugosi come back and play the dracula role and how amazing would that have been can you imagine Chaney versus like Bella Lugosi? Well, I mean, we we get to see it finally in uh, in in, in Abbott and Costello, just a, you know uh, three years after this. But uh, but yeah, no, I you know I the nicest thing I can say is that I I, I think John Carradine is a wonderful actor. We went over John Carradine obviously in um, uh, Captive Wild Woman, and I think he's a fantastic actor. Especially, I mean, Grapes of Wrath and and Stagecoach and and na- you name it. He is not my favorite Dracula. He's not my yeah, least I'm favorite Dracula. You. He's not my favorite though. Yeah, I he's it's interesting because he's very imposing yes he's he cuts a really interesting figure whenever you sure. see him sure but his the way that he embodies dracula it, it just isn't quite the same doesn't have that same gravity it, it, even though no, he has moments I, of that there's really no menace he he sort of is just guy in a tuxedo a lot it, yeah I, I don't feel you know and and again we always go back to the lugosi and and Certain people on set, we won't name their actors' names, making fun of them a little bit for standing in front of mirrors and chanting like, I am Dracula, I am Dracula. But again, like as we've gone into on the Dracula podcast, like I think Lugosi's approach to at least playing Dracula was pretty method. And I think that's why he is our mental image of the character and why possibly, you know, other actors, including Carradine, haven't stayed in the zeitgeist as much. But yeah, I, I think he's just not as he's just not as imposing it as his figure is but when he's you know i mean even early on he reveals oh yeah by the way i'm dracula you know yeah Yeah. there's not as much mystery (laughs) and just how he comports himself as dracula doesn't have that same kind of it doesn't have any mystery in in that and that's i don't you know i think he's a great actor but i i found myself kind of missing that yeah, yeah um, just that overall weight of, you know, just that Lugosi brought. And I mean, I think Carradine, if he's in a, you know, a still shot, again, he's a very interesting looking man, just his facial features. He's very thin. And, you know, we mentioned it before, Jim, just those fingers oh, yeah. that we saw in Captain Wild Woman. I mean, just physically, I, mean, he, I think he had the potential to be a really nice Dracula. And I'm sure maybe he's, you know, some people's favorite Dracula. But yeah, I think we're, we're right. I think, you know, when he's when he's not, and I guess his reputation was he was a little bit of a ham. So I don't know how serious he really took this role. Like, I mean, certainly Bella was tried and true Broadway. Dracula took this role extremely seriously. Yes. Um, and you could see probably Carradine, maybe not. Not sure. I, I believe the I believe in the the weight of the centuries that lay on Bella yes. as the character. Um, the weight of the countless hundreds of thousands of lives he's he's taken to sustain himself. And that's absent in some of the other actors who've who've played him, um, like Carradine and and 
possibly Frank Langella, but that's a that's a discussion for another time. No, really well put, Jim. I mean, he Carradine could be like a maybe like a a new I'll say a newer Dracula, maybe somebody who hasn't it, been dead eight hundred years, like Lugosi. I'd buy him as a vampire. It's just the character itself. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Maybe we've honed in on it, yeah. but okay. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get in trouble with the John Carradine fan club now. <laughs> again great great anyway actors. so yeah uh, maybe, maybe it's just the role maybe it's the direction maybe it's the the pace the film was shot at uh he didn't really get a chance to explore uh the depth of the character he was playing but that that being as it is so opening scene or at um dr edelman's let's say castle laboratory hospital clinic you know, very vintage universal yeah i mean very vintage universal we have one Dungeon. one location that homes like five different occupations yes. so it's it's a castle and he's you know dr edelman he lives there he's got you know live and help he does his experiments here sees his patients here so we're opening up and first scene is a vampire bat flying across the screen and landing in the bedroom of melissa who's a nurse for dr edelman and we see this you know, I guess the first transformation of the movie of John Carradine. And it's it's always so great. I mean, the bat looks super cool and great fog and everything kind of lands in the window and he transforms and he has this gigantic top hat. And I'm just, how cool would it be? Like, I always in my mind's eye want to put the top hat on the bat. Like, yeah, because where does the top hat go? <laughs> right? <have> been great. <laughs> Like I could see if he materialized and he was just sort of, well, I mean, you don't want him to materialize naked, but like I'd almost buy the, the, the evening dress and the, you know, and the, and the, the, the cape. Yeah. Where does the top? Yeah. If the, if the, if the bat was wearing a top hat, it would just be perfect. Wouldn't that be great? That's amazing. Also, this scene reminded me, I, I should tell you the story some other time of, I was in Scotland and I was reading the, a Vampire Hunter D novel and then half asleep. And then I woke up and there was a bat just in the room I was in Oh, cool! at this cottage. So I was like, did I summon a bat? Like what yeah, happened? That's <laughs> so every time I see something like this, I'm like, oh yeah. And also it, it uh, hit upon that I had no clue what to do when you summon a bat into a room. How right. do you get rid of said bat? Yeah. <laughs> but this kind of, every time I see a scene like this, it reminds me of random bat appearing and how <laughs> I don't think, I don't know very many people who uh, are prepared for that, but it's great. I do wish the the bat had a top. I mean, would, wouldn't have as much gravity, but yeah, it, it, it probably set it up right now. Thing, yeah. I love this transformation they do. They they do it in um. Do they do it in House of Frankenstein? Did they do this bat to to? They do. It's almost like an identical. Yes. Almost yeah. Identical and then they yeah, do yeah. it in um in in again uh Abner Costomi Frankenstein with Lugosi. And I think by the time they got to Lugosi, they perfected this animated morph right. from from bat to to actor. And they do it a few times and stuff like that. But it's a great you know Lugosi never turns into a bat in Dracula. Uh, we, he turns into a wolf. We never. Oh, there no. There, there's a bat. There's a bat. There's a moment with a bat, and I guess we're supposed to assume it's Lugosi. But yeah, we never you know. see. It. Yeah, right. We never see him transform. But yeah, he's you know yeah, kind of in the it. window and bothering um, Renfield at one. And point. And David Manners is like, "There's a big bat here." Right, bats in your hair, and Dave Manners comes to the rescue. And <laughs> Dracula is at Doctor Adamon's house because he knows this Melissa, the nurse. They had met in um, another locale, and it sounded like Dracula was kind of romancing her, and never, I mean, never bit her, never. Any Anything, but definitely took an interest in Melissa, and Melissa had to leave and go to work for Doctor Edelman. So basically, Dracula is has followed her back to Edelman's castle. So rather than just, I guess, attack her, take her away, put her under a trance, he is working an angle that he's trying to convince Doctor Edelman that he wants a cure 
So basically lands in the bedroom, sees Melissa for whatever reason. Okay, she's there. Goes back downstairs in human form and introduces himself to Dr. Edelman with under the under the, the pretense that he is counteracular, fully admits who he is, and is looking for a cure and believes. Well, well, well first he goes through this kind of routine where he's Baron Latos and brings him in. When I mean, it's not like he's really in disguise, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, also he he drops that pretty quickly. What I found yeah, yeah. interesting it, too is, I guess if you. If you comport yourself in the right way, or if you're rich enough, or seem rich enough, it's totally okay just to show up in somebody's house. We we yeah we've we've gone into this before. Yeah, no, exactly. At no point is Edelman like, hey, I'm gonna get a gun or anything. He's like, hey, I'm a rich guy. <laughs> I'm a you know, and he's hey, I'm this I'm this guy. You know who I am now. Let's go. I need your dungeon. <laughs> like I need your basement. Well, yeah. okay, sure. Well, you're uh, dressed nicely, so okay. Yeah. I mean, if it had been anybody else, you know, who knows what would no, happen. No, right. But for some reason, and it, it doesn't even seem like the usual kind of Dracula uh, glamour. Yeah. He, he's not hypnotizing. He hasn't shown him the eyes or anything. He just goes, right. hey, I'm rich. Uh, I'm the Baron. We, You're a cool, rich doctor uh, with this castle. I just, I really need your basement, man. It's that, it's that shorthand the 1% have. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's fascinating. You know, it works. Like, it's. I mean, I mean, yeah, it, it, place, it moves the story funny. to the next where he, he leads him down into the dungeon and Baron Latos reveals his, the coffin sitting there. And there's this moment where Dr. Edelman looks at it and goes, the Dracula crest. And I love that in, in the in the world of Tony, uh, Scott and I always talk about the pocket universe that Universal right. exists within, where it's it's always somewhere between 1880 and 1930. And we're never quite sure. And nobody's accent is correct. And people from the same village in Germany have French accents and American accents and German accents right. and English accents. Yeah. We, we love this kind of pocket universe. But uh, one of my things that I realized about this is everyone within this universe from 20 feet away can instantly recognize the Dracula crest. Like everyone looks like, like from Dr. Edelman to Bud Abbott in, in Abbott got so many friends saying Dracula's crest. Like everyone, everyone knows it. It's, it's, it's like recognizing the Pepsi logo or something in, in this pocket right. universe. I always, I always get a kick out of that. And it's interesting too, because some people know about vampires to varying degrees. Right. You know, throughout horror, you have some movies where people go vampires. That's just legend. Yes. And other people, you know, other movies like, hey, we've had vampires. We understand that. So it's not that big of a stretch. But in here, right. Dracula's crest has this weight, especially amongst people in the know. Right. And that's and also, yeah, you know, he, he, I like that he also for a while, he's kind of, hey, you know, vampires don't really exist. And probably something in your head, if, if it is not you, but if somebody said vampires, it's probably some proclivity they have. It's a mental yeah. thing. And then quickly... Edelman's not a doubter, but he doesn't believe in yeah. the supernatural aspect of it. He believes there's a medical explanation being a man of science. And I love this. I, that's something Universal does a lot that's interesting and kind of what also brings this all together. And I think some of the ideas is the supernatural and science that coexist at the same time. Yes. Because you have a supernatural element to the Frankenstein monster because he's immortal, but there's right. a scientific part. They're going to try to solve vampirism with science. They're going to or, try to or, solve or like anthropy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly. This goes and back so, to like Werewolf of London. They, it's, it's always this nice meeting, and they, they're so good at using just enough science to make you go, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll buy in. And the, I think Universal kind of pioneered that thing, and then we see it all the way into uh, Hammer Horror and Tomb of Dracula. You know, uh, the Marvel comic, right, Tony, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's so much so that I have a friend whose kid, I think he's like five, is obsessed with 
he calls spearmints and he set up a whole lab and he is like just incensed if he can't do spearmints. Oh, right. Uh, nice. And it's, it's pretty amazing to, to kind of watch. And he's, you know, some people have said, Oh, well, your kid is so young. How can you show him all this, this horror movies? And he goes, but he has an interest in science because of these horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is growing his mind in a way that he can relate to. And, you know, universal, again, that was some of the first things I saw when I was probably four or five. Right. So I think you can you can show that early, and that's what's uh, pretty magical about these films. I, I think um, as opposed to, as opposed to showing a kid like I spit on your grave, I think right, this right, is a more right. responsible parenting decision, possibly. To, like, because I think I I mean not to get too deep into a, into a sidetrack here, but I do think, with the exception maybe of Dracula, I think a lot of kids uh, and a lot of people have talked about this sympathize with these characters. They sympathize with the Frankenstein monster who doesn't understand what he is, and he's clumsy, and he. Mm -hmm. understand they, they you know as they get older they sympathize with the wolfman who things are changing and hair's growing out of weird places and right he does he doesn't belong and stuff I, I think there's a lot of silent communication that goes on in these movies that is that, that can be very positive right even as a child i i understood even though i was a kind of appalled i understood that frankenstein didn't mean like when he throws the girl into the water yeah like, yeah that right. was a mistake like even as a child i understood even though that was horrific being around the same age, I didn't feel like I blamed the monster. Yeah, I was never afraid of Frankenstein way. or the Wolfman uh, as right. a kid. There's it's, a reason why they've endured a hundred years. And yeah, yeah, I mean, children love the monster for the, exactly that, that exact same reason. So yeah. I'm it just helped me by back. the time we were growing up, there was Herman Munster too. So there was like a friendly face yeah, on yeah. top of the That's thing. Right. Exactly. It became such a part of pop culture that, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a Halloween costume and it's on oh, your, yeah. it's on your it's lunchbox. And, recognizable, yeah. Right. You can't be scared well, of something on your lunchbox. Introducing these movies, and that's why I was so excited to do this, was there's so, it's such a rich history. Um, yeah. And we owe so much of pop culture to Universal and Right. It, you know, they the took these literary characters universal. and turned them into pop culture icons. Yeah, exactly. So going back to um, so Dr. Edelman and Dracula having a pretty good little conversation in the basement. And um, Dr. Edelman's uh, curiosities are piqued. He's extremely curious and um, to work with Dracula. I think he understands the risks involved, but is willing to put himself and certainly um, you know the folks around him at risk to work with Dracula. So the understanding is he's going to come in for um, have a blood test and blood transfusions, and off he goes. And this is when we first meet Nina the Hunchback. So <laughs> I guess mm -hmm. kind of a funny scene that we have you know very a pretty nurse at a desk facing the camera, and she's talking to Doctor Edelman. And then stands up and kind of walks right to left. And then, of course, yeah. you notice she has you know. the hump. Um, yeah, but that's nicely done. Not your, yeah, but not your prototypical hunchback. I mean, on the poster and you know, other in the you know the trailers for the movie, there you know that's it's a monster mash. It's the monster. It's Dracula. It's the Wolfman. It's the hunchback. Lister is one of the monsters. And this like, is that's yeah. irresponsible. Yeah, wow, yeah. That's, yeah. that's defamatory. I mean, we don't. Uh, we could have had the Invisible Man. We could have had. I mean, yeah. we could have had a true Hunchback. It, it is. I'm, I want to get into Hunchbackness for for just a minute here because I think it's interesting. I do want to say it, it is interesting the choices that were made by Universal at this point that the Mummy and the Invisible Man do not show up in these monsters. It's like they just couldn't quite figure it out. So. They had to wait. We had to wait till Mod, Mad Monster Party to get those guys in the in the mix. But um, and you th it's it's so funny with the timing though, because it's obviously 
I mean, we're 10 years past Karloff's mommy, but you've got, again, Lon Chaney Jr. playing Karos. I always wondered why they never included either, you know, the mummy or the Invisible Man in some of I, these stories. I think stories. it's because those franchises were still kind of going on pretty strong and they had their own right. thing. But the the big three had kind of petered out a bit. So I think it is surprising that we never got an Invisible Man as a scientist, either resurrecting or controlling the monster. You know, that could work really well because he's he's a man of science, et cetera. Exactly. And he's crazy yeah. enough to, to want to mess with a monster. Uh, it is and, surprising and they do we that never got one, that. Yeah. They do a wonderful job with that in, in uh, Penny Dreadful. They start mixing the, you know, the, the, the classic monsters mm-hmm. together. But, but I did, a, I did a little research guys on hunchbackness. And the medical term is called kyphosis or hyperkyphosis. It's usually caused by a thing called Schuerman's disease, where your vertebrae grow unevenly. Like the, the back part of your vertebrae grow thicker than the front part. And this leads to the curvature of the spine. It's now treated largely. It, it, obviously, it's, it's caught early, usually now, and can be treated with with uh, therapeutic procedures and then sometimes if they need to surgery. So it's why you don't really see a lot of people with hunchbacks, thankfully, anymore, because it's a tough disease. It's really, you know, it is caused by osteoporosis sometimes in older people, too. That's why you sometimes see older older folks kind of hunched over. But true hunchbackness, thankfully, to some degree, is a thing of the past. Again, this is that thing where I talk about how it's uh, a lot in, in my writing. And, and, and other stuff, how it, it it's this one affect like polydactylism or, or something like that, that, that just allows us to look at somebody and say that person is, is something else besides us. And, right. and in our innate bias as humans, it allows us to think of that person. And again, like, like Universal exploited like that. She's listed as one of the, Nina's listed as one of the monsters when really she's one of the heroes of the, of course, Talbot is too. So I guess, I guess we're yeah, all... In- and they they kind of both on parallel journeys. I mean, they both that kind of a simple yeah. characters like for yeah. exactly the same reason. So we can get into it a little bit later on, but I guess we'll say long story short. So Dracula, Baron Latos does have a um, blood culture and Dr. Edelman has discovered what he calls a parasite, you know, something in his culture yes. that he's never seen before and believes that introducing what he calls a pure culture, pure blood into parasitic blood of Dracula may help or may curb his uh, vampirism. So it's not like maybe every two or three nights, Dracula will come back to um, Edelman. He'll have a blood transfusion. Edelman is transfusing the blood, him actually his own blood into Dracula. Probably be- his first mistake. Yeah. You would, you would, well, use yourself as the donor with Dracula. Uh, yeah. I okay. mean, that's part of it. That's part of the hubris of these uber scientists, right? Right. Like, like I'll do this because no one else will. No one else and will. Sometimes and sometimes it's, it's the... meant to be very, you know, I'll be the hero because I I can take that risk yeah. because I'm a man of science. It, it's out of, out of uh, yeah, out of the out of, it's partly true. bravery and partly arrogance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not putting his people at you know. Obviously, he's not. He, he didn't look for a villager. He didn't look for one of his you know right one of his his employees to you know to do that. I mean, he is taking the risk himself, which I guess yeah. is. Somewhat commendable, but yeah, he has a lot of uh, a lot of his decision making in this movie is not quite up to uh, probably well, what a dignified in, should be. In another, in in other films that didn't have this kind of uh, feeling, the doctor might have also chosen Nina because she's a monster. I didn't just do right. try this with monsters because they're monsters, but they don't treat her that way. He doesn't treat no. her that way. No, he cares about her uh, quite a bit. It's it's nice, and it's not. You know, I was struck with it's not until. You know, the only other one I can remember offhand or what I think most people remember, we don't really see much of this until we see Near Dark. And so I'm sure it's done like I'm sure I'm missing a movie, but 
the one that stands out most about that transfusion scene, and hopefully I didn't spoil it for, you know, sorry if I did, <laughs> because it's a really good movie and fun to watch. But it struck me as, oh, wow, you know, this is kind of the where that's heading. I also enjoy that all of the monsters in this film are looking for this redemption. Like, even though Dracula is doing the, we get this person he's met, we get Melisa, who's fulfills both the, both Harker roles, right? <laughs> like he's met her before, right. and she's the love interest. So she's both Harkers in, yeah. in the same yeah. person, which is interesting. interesting as well. But everybody's, even though he's going to, hey, I'm going to seduce her or whatever, he's looking to, to not be immortal. Do you, you really know, think Talbot so? I'm is. wondering if this is all a put on just so he can close the deal with her. I Maybe. That's my feeling. That's and this is why I I kind of have issues with this film as far as mm. the storyline goes. I wish there was a better. And again, Tony, you might be a hundred percent right, but I think Jim and I are kind of on the same page here. I think this is just a front to get himself into this this house. Where again, opening scene, he he is standing in Melitz's bedroom. She's asleep, yeah. completely vulnerable. He could have done whatever he wanted, turned her or you know or taken her away. That's but true. He doesn't he, have to go through all this. So maybe no, there is part of no. him that kind of. Kind of wish, I guess Maybe one of my, fine. yeah, one of my issues with the film is I wish there was another, if he legitimately did want to get rid of the vampire or the vampirism, or if he had some other reason to have to go through this. To me, I that mean, would with, have been. Without being a vampire, he could be with yes, Melissa yes. As, a, as a man. And maybe that's what he wants. See, that's um, kind of what I was thinking. I think that yeah. you can, I think both readings of this are valid, but it made it really interesting and some of that could be you know on the cutting room floor or in the original you know throughout drafts it's yeah, changed part yeah but yeah, i like that, got the, out. that it's a overall it's a story of all of the monsters wanting some form of redemption if yeah. you read it as dracula also wants that yeah uh, even the monster would have been fine frankenstein monster would have been fine being left alone yeah yeah exactly There's, and 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 yet against his own whatever uh, he's he's forced to come back again and you know, exactly trash the yeah. place but yeah i never thought I never thought of that, Tony. I hope you're. I hope you're right because if that if that's the case, I enjoy the story much, much more. If he, if Dracula legitimately wanted to, you know, become a human again to be with Melissa, I would have. I, I I'd buy into that. But again, maybe I'm wrong. But I just always thought it seemed like it was more of a front to get into the house. But again, maybe hmm. I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Well, what's nice is it's open to to some interpretation. Absolutely, so it's part of the we fun. can each have our own version of the movie in our heads. It's, mm -hmm. it's fun. So right around here. Uh, while this is going on, Lawrence Talbot has shown up at, at Dr. Edelman's uh, looking for help as well. And we have Lon Chaney Jr. with a mustache. And I don't know what it is. It's like, you know, this is this is a to me, you have the Talbot character in Wolfman where he becomes the Wolfman. You have Frankenstein versus Wolfman where we start really getting into the idea of, of, of Larry Talbot as a man who, again, want, just wants to be released from this curse that he's under. This to me is this next evolution of of of. Talbot as a leading man, not mm -hmm. not the Wolfman. Like there is, and 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 just a th there's precious little monster action in this movie. There's he turns the Wolfman twice very briefly, <clears throat> and right. spoilers: the monster shows up for the last like you know six seventy seven seconds of the movie. Mostly the the lead hero that carries through this story is Larry Talbot, not the Wolfman. Just hit, Larry Talbot is a man who has been through a bunch of stuff and is able to sort of take charge of, of situations and it's a blast seeing that I, I it's my absolute favorite thing about the movie um but but he has he has shown up 
to uh, Dr. Edelman's t- unannounced again. Is, is he unannounced? Does he have an appointment? Or well, no? they he gets you know, eventually they catch him. They you know he's in the prison when he well comes. yeah yeah well then when he's not admitted he knows he's going to turn and he he has right. himself arrested yeah because yeah, 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 yeah. he just he just walks in the door totally unannounced yeah yeah because <laughs> right, I guess everybody the- does. Yeah, like, it's open office hours at, at Edelman's. <laughs> Apparently, only, only at night, right? Yeah, but, uh, I guess so. He's after hours clinic, the Edelman Castle. I just want to sit with a, sit with a brandy and and you know read a book and stuff. It's all these patients showing up. But yeah, so he goes and and has uh, Lionel Atwill uh, arrest him and and put him in prison. And the doc, Dr. Edelman and Melissa are are called down to 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 the town. To, to see this madman that they've arrested, right? Yeah, I'm just going to take a real quick step back. So yeah, when oh. Edelman's house, so Edelman at this time is giving the transfusion to Dracula. So so Talbert meets Melitzer and basically Melitzer says, you know, the doctor can't see you, he's busy. Right. And Talbert almost flies off in a rage saying there isn't time, there isn't time and storms off. And this is the yeah, frantic yeah, yeah. Talbot we've seen before, the, the yes. man out of control. Right. And it takes him a bit to 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 come into his own in this film. And I, I like seeing that. He's always that guy who's like, no, I can't do this. Ah, I'm tortured. Ah, runs away. You know, it's interesting, too, because by the time that we see by the time we get to this movie, um, it's easy to forget if you're just kind of breezing through it. But he's been through generations of being the Wolfman. Yes. So because the previous two movies, he's kind of attempting the same thing. Like, I am st- I'm sick of being alive. I'm tired of being right, alive right. and and yep. and harming people. I don't want to harm people. Mm-hmm. So he's he's you know they to the point where us. when they find Frankenstein's monster and they find him with a skeleton, which was the previous doctor. And so he's yeah. old enough to have lived through a total, you know, somebody decaying all the way <laughs> to skeleton. And that's right. You know, it's, that's it's this right. tortured soul of generations and nobody kind of really oh larry talbot i've heard of you but like they should be going well, aren't yeah. you you know this old or his world weariness i think Dead really comes well, through yeah, in a lot of ways tony that's a super point and they yeah no it, and it, it is it's the years and i say they mention it in some movie that we we skipped over but frankenstein meets the wolfman that you know that opening awesome awesome scene in the crypt that two grave robbers are in there it's believed that you know he's been dead. Larry Talbot's been dead for years, yeah. for years and years. Yep. So yeah, to your yep. point, Tony. Who knows? Yep. I mean, he he might be. You know, because they say it should just be bones by now. Right. Right. There's a few generations through, and that's why he's he's probably even more frantic because that you know he knows what's going to happen in the full moon. That's why he gets himself yep. locked up. But throughout he and why he does you know we'll go over you know his choices throughout the movie are based on this, I just can't do this anymore. And it adds to this right. tragedy. Again, why I chose kind of <laughs> maybe perhaps an imperfect movie, because I thought the themes and the ideas were just so strong in this one in particular. And watching yeah. you know his character throughout, progress throughout it is is pretty amazing. Oh, it's true, Tony. I mean, certainly what we're all dealing with 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 COVID, like people literally get at the end of their ropes and people just getting desperate. So you can see, you know, to your point, Jim, just that desperation we haven't seen in Talbert. I don't think in any of the other movies. I mean, I mean clearly he gets you know he anxiety written and seeks help, but no time ever that I remember him looking this desperate. And I've got to say, you know, yeah. just physically. 
Cheney doesn't look great. I don't think like I was watching it again. I think at this point, I mean, it's only been maybe a, a year or two since the last movie, but, and to me, I think the alcoholism is really starting to take effect. And Could I don't be. know if you guys saw that too, but he just, he didn't look yeah. like he did and say, you know, a few years before in the Wolfman. And that's well, and such there, a... and there's between this and 48 in, in Abner Costello, there's a marked difference in his appearance. Yes. There's and a it says a lot in, in to me about the industry as well, because part of that look adds weight. But if you think about and so, wow, you know, we've got this this guy and he's tortured and he's tortured in real life and, you know, use that. But what we're telling someone, an actor, is to use this thing that perhaps we should be going, hey, maybe take a break. Let me help you. You should have some help. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, instead, this is like it's it's so it's such a hard dichotomy because he carries that weight. And I think it comes across in his performance. I think it does. But the things that that he looks so haggard and the the things you're picking up on are also things that people around him should be helping. And, you know, of course, I can't speak for how they treated him or, or what the actual reality was but so often we see this like well yeah i kind of knew but it added this performance blah 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 right right why don't we help people why are we that yes somebody reach out to the guy this this is art and and we're trying to to make this believable but (laughs) you could probably probably get there without the drink yeah true I i didn't think about it either but you're right that in retrospect, I can't say what that weight was, but uh, I think it does add, but it's also uh, very sad. And this is Cheney's last film under his, his deal with universal. Yeah. You don't know what's, I mean, I'm sure he had a lot, you know, felt a lot of pressure that if he knew his deal wasn't going to be renewed. And again, we don't know. We're just speculating at this point, but I mean, again, if somebody, you know, somebody could say like, Hey, I don't think that's the right things to pick up on, or I think that you're uh, inflating that, but you know, as we're talking and you're saying, Hey, I think that this is it. If that was part of the case, it's really tough. And we still see stuff like that. Uh, but I think yeah. his the weight of his performance and what it leads him to in the rest of the movie is is pretty fascinating. He he carries this film in in in, in spite of, of any any obstacles he was personally facing and stuff. But yeah, he he gets uh, the kibosh after this. This is his last film under contract playing the Wolfman. And when they bring him back for uh, Abner Costello meet Frankenstein. It's I guess it says a contract or it says it's it's a freelancer. So he's cut loose after this and he goes on and has to do wow. you know other type pictures, smaller budget stuff. He does he does get his his TV show briefly for a while, which I haven't seen. I'm dying to see the Lon Chaney uh, show he he hosted for a while. He did like kind of a it's, it's kind of a Twilight Zone type type show. But wow, I'll have to. I've never heard of that, Jim. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I have no idea if it's available if or, or if there's just a awful quality version on youtube uh if anyone else out there knows wow. of it and where to find it let us know please we, I'm on the hunt. as soon out. as this podcast is over i am on the hunt for that yeah, <laughs> i want to um, see that the one you know, last also, thing i want to say about Shane oh, before ahead. we move Sorry. on is 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 that as opposed to every other character uh, uh, uh almost in the universal pantheon cheney was the only actor to play the wolfman he owned this character and uh, in, in the hands of a different actor you can only imagine wow, yeah. how things could have gone off the rails Larry Talbot is such a decent guy. He's that guy again. You just uh, this is unfortunate, but he's the guy you want to have a beer with. Mm-hmm. Maybe not seventeen, mm-hmm. but you know one. And <laughs> right. and and again, he just wants to stop hurting people. And we're you know coming into House of Dracula, we're coming right on the end of House of Frankenstein, where he kills the the gypsy girl, right? And yeah, and, yeah. and the the torment that that he's under. But he never stops trying to find a solution, and that's the other kind of thing. He's again. I'll always make the comparison with uh, Bill Bixby in The Incredible Hulk. He's he's this guy who's such a decent dude, and he'll, in the midst of all his own problems, he'll help 
other people in a second. He he never loses that compassion and generosity in, in the midst of his own torment. And he's also, as the leading man is, I, both nurses are totally into Larry Talbot in this movie, right? I mean, in their own way, they are both. Yeah, so, yeah, so only Melitza at, at one point. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, to you, I think we've all said it, you know, in the same way. But yeah, Talbot is just absolutely exhausted at this point. So not yeah. having Adamon ready for him. He runs, and um, we should probably mention this is a night of full moon. So Talbot mm-hmm. knows he's going to be chanting in the Wolfman. So runs to to Lionel Atwell, to who's the uh, the policeman, and has himself locked away, uh, knowing that he's going to transform, knowing that he's going to kill somebody, yeah. has himself locked away in the jail. And then word seems to get out extremely quickly to the villages that there's a madman in the jail. So, of course, they start surrounding the jail. And then the Atwell character calls Adamon, asking for his assistance, that he's got you know a madman in the jail to come down and he just wants his expertise. So at that point... <laughs> So Dr. Edelman and Melissa meet Holtz at the prison and at that point, you know, introduces himself to Talbert. And you know, within a few seconds, we've got a great, great transformation within the prison cell. And Jim, I know you mentioned before in some other werewolf transformation scenes where they have like the knocked out pillows or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they must have been in that wall, right? That that chain, he kind of, he's sitting upright, but his head never moves. I'm assuming there must've been a, a knock. Yeah, in that they, they, they construct some sort of brace for his head where he could sit. And then because, you know, between shots, he would have to get up, go to the makeup chair, get another layer of makeup put on, come back, sit back down. And you need his head to, to sit sometimes in the, in the one, two, three, four, five appearances of the Wolfman in the universal, you know, some of these transformations work better than others. And it's not always, it's not like they get better or worse consistently. Some, some of them, they worked better and some of them they had, maybe they had more time or, or, or what have you. It's a good, it's a good transformation scene. And, and, and it's a fun bit where he's, he's trapped within the, the, you know, the prison, so he can't hurt anybody, but everyone can see what's going on. Nurse Morell seems definitely oddly titillated by him turning into the wolf man, I just have to say. Uh, you can see why she's sort of drawn to Dracula as well. There's something a little dark about her too. It's sort of like Lucy in Dracula in, in yeah, 31. Right? She's, yeah. she's drawn a little bit to the dark side. She, she's someone who would be voice. good to have on the podcast. Right. Totally. Yeah. Well, also, I, um, it's cool that Talbot's character provides the through line for, even though Edelman tries to play it off as well it's this psychological thing it's hormonal yeah but he provides the through line for edelman to start going hmm maybe there is something supernatural yeah like, i can't explain i want to explain it off but eventually that leads to to him kind of be being a little bit more of a believer well yeah as as he himself comes under the sway of something maybe right, more right, than right. more than natural but i think it's important to see that that while he turns into the wolfman he very quickly transforms back right. without without being knocked out or without being whatever. He he exhausts himself quickly and then kind of so you get the feeling that even even without a cure, Talbot has started to exert just a little bit of control over his problem, uh, just through maybe the years of 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 going through it and stuff. And that's an interesting maybe that's why the cure is, is able to work because he has already he started to master his own disorder. Could be. It's kind of an interesting scene. Yeah, that I mean, obviously the wolfman is in the prison trying to pull down the bars, goes to the window, trying to pull down the bars, knows that he can't escape and kind of collapses. And at that point, Edelman goes to Holtz and says, you know, well, we have to give him the night once the full moon passes, once he you know, reverts back to Larry Talbert, yeah. bring him to me and, you know, put him under my care. So not only now is he dealing with Dracula, but now he's got a, a wolf man to deal with. So 
Kudos to uh, Dr. Edelman for really loading up his plate. Without batting an eye, like, uh, yeah, he brings him back. And, and Edelman is working with molds, right? That's his sort of uh, intuitive science, which, which is interesting because this comes, you know, a, you know, a decade or two after the penicillin virus, which is, I believe, based on a mold culture that they mm-hmm. created that in, and was quite a big deal. I mean, penicillin has saved billions of lives at this point. I mean, penicillin was a right. remarkable uh, uh, discovery in, in medicine, but it, it's a neat, it, but, but it doesn't stop them from mentioning glands when he's talking to him. And, and Tony <laughs> Scott, and I have a whole thing about glands where like every time, I mean, it comes up in man-made monster. It comes uh, or not in a, in a captive wild woman and stuff. It's like whenever they had to explain something away again with this scientific mumbo jumbo, it was always about glands because nobody really understands what glands do. So they're, you're like, okay, Sure, I guess it's glands. You beat me. Well, too. I mean, I guess so much is like, oh, well, this person has a glandular disorder, yeah. and that can yeah. make many people look more monstrous or or have problems. And so, right, it's right, an easy. Right. It, it does make sense. You've heard of because I, I guess probably what they're hoping is the layperson has heard of glands, maybe even more than some than hormones, which eventually yeah. that becomes you know right. standard. As, anyway, even if we had the, it's one of those things like you don't. It has to become person, part yeah. of every everyday life to really sell it yeah. or it doesn't sound like mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. plus you know everybody is like oh he's got glands that can be like he's got hey, glands. again i'm growing i'm growing hair in weird places now oh well, your glands are active yeah, the <laughs> glands yeah so it's just and it's also fun to say and i just think it's a fun scott get us back on track with the story here i've we've 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 gone into a spiral spirals are good especially when we have a uh when we have the baron of positivity on the baron positivity on board <laughs> so yeah i don't <laughs> <laughs> Edelman at, at some point must do well, must have done whether well, a physical on on top of it. So basically, the long story short is has determined that um, Larry has got pressure on the brain. So I guess realizing that if he is able to um, you know lessen the pressure on the brain, that he might be able to control his transformations. So as um, Jim and Tony mentioned earlier, they're working with um, spores. So I guess the spores soften bone tissue. So so Edelman's idea is to coat Larry's head with this this it's almost mm-hmm. like like a cream or some kind of a yeah it's like almost like a mold. So basically to cover Larry's head with a mold and concentrating around the areas with the uh, with the increased pressure and oh hopefully through that through kind of um reengineering of of Larry's skull is can cure him of this lycanthropy, I guess. You yeah, wonder if, if 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 the pressure on his skull was helped or increased by his dad clubbing him uh with a silver headed wolf cane uh <laughs> right. that's my only i'm sorry when you go back into the thing you you track it yeah. to be like i'm not sure if that actually well it's a benefit it, again it's that combo of science so in the same way that he, that he looks at dracula and goes oh well you've got parasites in your blood yeah. that's yeah. that's what causes your vampirism he looks at talbot and goes hey okay so i've seen all this stuff never mind that talbot's you know x years old or lycanthropy like you right. know, he can get shot with anything but a silver bullet. That doesn't matter as much as long as this this mold also has this. You know, in a Lovecraft story, it would be even more supernatural of a mold, right? Right, of course, uh, yeah, be a mold that from somehow it, it yeah. can cure lycanthropy. That is, and we just know, we just need enough of a nugget to bet to sure. believe into it. And you're like, okay, yep. let's move on. We don't, and, have... and they're good at they just porcel it out. Like, okay, you're portioning out. Like, like here you go. It's just a little enough explanation that we can get on to more monster action. Like, thank you. Yeah, moving I mean, moving on. Yeah. I mean, they mentioned, you know, his glands, his metabolism. At that point, the viewer's like, probably the brain getting a little brain freeze. Like, okay, yeah, we're, we're in. Are we so, going to see a monster soon? <laughs> <laughs> so, but the eight year old kids in the audience in 1945 are like, mm. right, right. 
<laughs> but so the thrust that, also. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, Tony. No, go ahead. The thrust also is is his how tragic he is because they can't. The problem right now is they can't produce enough for the sport to do things in time for his next transformation. Or to so they set up the, it's like a ticking time. clock they set up, which is great. Right. I mean, that's like good storytelling. And so you know, Talbot tries to kill himself. Yeah. Which leads yeah. to how, you know, we find the, the monster as well as how they're going to cure everything because the cave that they find. But this idea of I just can't take this anymore. I'm going to try this. Also is the other part of the, the tragedy and the ticking time bomb is we know everybody's afraid after Talbot jumps off the cliff and we find out he's immortal <laughs> for as long right. as, you know, with the exception of, I guess, silver bullets, which they never really bring up that much. You know, we know that because we've seen other movies. Yeah, he can't die. We see that he jumps to the sea and they have a ticking clock. They, even if they don't believe the werewolf part, they believe their own eyes. And when he's rescued, because Edelman goes after him, too. He's like this scientific adventurer, right? He, so he they, is. He does. They hook him up with a little carton and lower him down. Yeah. And stuff, and, it's, and even for him, it's incredibly dangerous. And they remark on that. But also to everyone around, they go, wow, we don't want this person just constantly trying to kill themselves. That's a that's horrible yeah. for everyone involved, which that's is, bad you know, again, fascinating. Yeah, it's bad. But that bad. leads us to finding the monster who's washed down there because out of quicksand, which, again, you know, we all go. Anybody who grew up with a certain generation, quicksand seems like it was that could get much, you as much as anything yeah. <laughs> quicksand presented much more of a danger than than as an adult you realize it does it seemed like quicksand was right. everywhere yeah you know you could just be in the park and that's yeah. it yeah. sorry quicksand like every other episode of the six million dollar <laughs> man or wonder woman right. with linda carter or something yeah there was there's gonna be a quicksand issue and and that's kind of gone out kill of the out previous of doctor and incapacitated the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, so. kills Boris Karloff as Dr. Naimon. The doctor, Dr. Edelman, lowers himself down, explores the cave. Of course, Larry's waiting for him as the wolfman, and they have a little scuffle. And again, again, you know, but before he manages to to actually kill him, Larry transforms back again. This is right. This is out of out of choice. So again, you do feel like he's he started to have a little bit of control over this thing. And, and then of course they find. Uh, the in in the quicksand they find the the uh, Glenn Strange as the Frankenstein monster. Right. Don't want to have any spoilers. So anyone that wants to go back in and watch, there's not a lot of continuity between these movies. But yeah, this is one this is one line that we're gonna miss jumping ahead, which is totally fine. So again, I don't want to I don't want to spoil House of Frankenstein, but you know you go ahead and watch that. So it's you know you'll understand why now the monster is coated in sand with yeah. um, the old burst. Call off um, Dr. Dr. Nemo. Skeleton or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, the Glenn Strange monster is covered in this, you know, reading some of the behind the scenes stories of this this actual scene. It sounded like the, it was very, very cold. Yeah. And Strange was like freezing. So, <laughs> Cheney would run and get him whiskey to, to help keep him warm. <laughs> Which oh, yeah. solution to everything right right, right. <laughs> and then you, now you have now you have glenn strange drunk playing the frankenstein monster which isn't again which may or may not have helped depending yeah, on yeah, yeah. how um, you view it i just so. and 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 obviously talbot recognizes the monster but but it's it's underplayed quite a bit and you almost wish there was a moment where he's like this guy again because because he's right. This is the third time now he's he, he yeah. cannot get rid of the Frankenstein monster. He keeps popping up in his life, and it's like, geez, man, Jim. Every time he does, everything goes to hell, right? Jim, I think there is. I think there's a little pee when I, I was watching it pretty closely. The minute Edelman goes up and sees the monster, he's like, "Oh, it's Doctor Frankenstein's creation." Watch Chain or watch um, Talbert. He looks pissed. Yeah. 
Oh. He's like this again. Now I'm lo- I'm I'm losing the attention of this God doctor. Damn it! Right, exactly. Yeah. Watch a scene. And it's really quick, but he looks pissed. He's seen yeah. this with Patrick Knowles. He's yep. seen this with Boris Karloff. He knows the minute this friggin' doctor discovers the Frankenstein monster, everything stops, and he's just going to want to bring him back to life and make him powerful again because it's like this this sickness yep. uh, of in 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 with with scientists in the universal pocket dimension. It's like if you find the Frankenstein monster, stop right. everything else bring him back to life. Oh, it's a huge storyline. Again, going back to House of Frankenstein that we'll, we'll cover it at some point, but huge storyline in that is exactly is the minute the monster shows up, Talbert is thrown to the side. Yeah, it's surprising yeah. he didn't go, oh, I... Poor monster. I think we should give him Vera at sea. Just push yeah. him out. <laughs> no, no, I, I really need this lycanthropy solved. So if you could just push the monster out of the sea, too bad. Like he, he's really not alive. Don't worry about it. That's not the Frankenstein yeah. monster. That's this guy Bill who looks like the Frankenstein yeah. monster. Don't, really? Don't. I, I think I think my werewolf problems. Trump. Yeah. You should just yeah. push him out to sea. But that doesn't happen, unfortunately. Do monsters no. float, Tony? I think no. probably this. Maybe, but this. I don't know. I None guess those he's pretty heavy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those boots, I think, are what are the now. Yeah. Like anything, he could probably once he's fully awake, he could just walk up back up on the shore. But uh, you know, Edelman doesn't know that. Could the monster drown? Would it be like in uh, in Swamp Thing where uh, Tony, help me out, where uh, Doctor oh. Arcane, where Arcane, yeah, yeah, creatures walk. They literally walk from Europe to America under the ocean. They literally walk well, under the ocean because they can't die yeah so creepy and they yeah. come out of the water it's really creepy anyway yeah well i mean in this case he survived quicksand and everything else so yeah. one would one would, one would suspect imagine, yeah. that he could just whatever if he wakes up if something wakes him up he can just walk back out yeah yeah one would assume unless i guess fish ate him or whatever but yeah you know we don't, we're not concerned with all that as long as but, glenn uh, strange's contract with universal is still going uh yeah. exactly <laughs> With the, all the other films, it seems like, you know, if you have a doctor and you mix in the monster, he immediately gets this this monster sickness. So you yeah. can see it in Edelman that up until this point, he is just hell. I mean, it truly wants to help Dracula, help Talbot. But the minute you factor in this monster, he becomes like, you know, it just almost goes off the rail. So the next scene now we're in Edelman's lab it seems to have all the old Frankenstein equipment and he's got the monster on the slab basically talking about bringing him back to life and it's man's responsibility to take care of this thing. So it's just amazing the shift in Edelman. And Nina is the is the rational one and, and she, she right. later on does this once, or she's done this already when she discovers Dracula is actually Dracula. She she has these moments where it's like she's the audience almost, and she's just saying like, "Why are we helping Dracula?" And, like, and then she's like, "Why yeah. are we bringing the Frankenstein monster back to life?" Like like it's just the common sense question. You're waiting for someone to say like, "This seems like a terrible idea." And again, you've got I mean, you've got Edelman helping Dracula. You've got Edelman with the Wolfman, and now yeah. he's going to bring this Frankenstein monster back of to life. The, the, he's going for the hat trick. And again, I know this is a movie. We're trying to get through the through the different. Yeah. But I mean, it's just it's fun to kind of pick, you know, pick on Edelman a little bit here. Like, yeah, it's fun to approach the context of it because, yeah. you know, th- these are questions the writers had to sort of figure out. And and as a writer, you're always like, look, this makes no sense. Can I get away with it? Probably. All right, we're doing it, you know, and right. it, and and you're just the idea is to keep it, keep the, the story going and flowing fast enough that that you don't question it. And honestly, this would be the eight eighth or ninth time i've seen probably house of dracula and and i enjoyed every time i watch it and and i get a huge kick out of it and um and Two. you know i i can step back in my in my if i'm not doing a podcast about it i can step back and just enjoy the look and the the, the lighting and the sets and the characters and the drama 
and it goes right past me and i have i have zero qualms with with any of this it's entertainment it's great to his credit though right after he sees uh the frankenstein monster and is interested he also goes wait holy cow this is the place we can make more spores like we can do this now and also it's not until yeah and it's not until he has because they also have a very jekyll and hyde thing going on once he gets yes vampire once he becomes a vampire but you know they also gave him this very dr jekyll aspect and it's not until that's introduced that he really thinks hard like he listens to nina but his evil vampire instincts take over yes but i you know it's very you know the the idea of like hey we're also going to add a little bit of dr jekyll in here too right right they they kind of get that for free yeah yeah um so he you know he is actually like Oh, he's relieved. And his even during that though, I it's fascinating that he's not he's only mad scientist in when he's the the vampire aspect. Yes. Uh because it's very important that he cures Nina and Larry Talbot. He he's still despite, it, and he's it, it very went, focused on that. Yeah, when he's cogent, he's he's still very into that. And the one more thing before we move on that I, I like is we get into these two different warring ethoses. Edelman comes from this thing of, of being a doctor and do no harm. And his goal is like, I, I need to I need to save Dracula. I need to save the Wolfman and I need to resurrect uh, the good side of, of the Frankenstein monster. This I need, do no harm and I need to help these people. Talbot is coming from this thing. He's like, no, monsters have to die. You don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Like, like himself included. Yes. He's like, no, no, no. They're monsters. They need to be destroyed. This is how this is done. I've done this a few times now. I know. Right. He's at this got point, the Talbot is right. basically a monster fighter. <laughs> It is. He's like right. housing almost. Yeah. Yeah. To the point so, he's, you know, again, he's going to end it himself because he realizes that right. he as a monster can't exist in this world. It does humans, it does normal people no good for him to be there. Yeah. 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 The, the, right. the, that his capacity for harm outweighs is the the, the worthiness of, of, of him being alive. It, that, yeah. So the next scene, we haven't seen Dracula in a little bit. So there is a great little scene with uh, Melissa playing Beethoven's Moonlight Sonnet on the piano. <sighs> And Dracula walks in and there was a banter between the two of them. And so I kind of had like a, not that I was having a drinking game during this movie, but a couple of things that I was, so this Dracula, and it reminded me of you, I think Tony, if you ever get transformed into a vampire, this might be you. This Dracula is all about music. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I love it. He also creates, he, he starts having her play this avant-garde music. Like he influences modern music, her yeah. to become this. She goes, "Ah, oh, I've never played this before. I don't know." But it's his influence that builds this tension. It makes the you know it's a really tense piece of you know it's a really intense composition within the score, within yeah, the soundtrack, it's a- atonal kind of, and, and yeah, really and it's really you know it's it, vampire music, exactly. Well, think of like Dracula's, <laughs> what, like Dracula's daughter, so, right? Yeah, it's so cool to see yeah. him changing her traditional sense to this the music from the mind of dracula yes 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 that is pretty amazing I, it's almost I really, just like yeah i also picked up on that that was great he has this alternate morality right where he uh-huh. can justify killing people to survive colors the 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 how do we want to call it the the artistic sensibilities too but, uh, he's a control i've ever too. seen he, that before he's either. like play this music stand up do this and stuff he's really like a dom like he's <laughs> dracula in this he's really all about having his way he's not he's not interested in, in but never in, uh, it never bites her ne- i mean never no. t- never seems like he's trying to tr- transform her over he's not trying to you know get sustenance with her blood it's always keep playing the music keep playing the music dude you're a vampire 
vampire, like bite her and just like take her away someplace. You've got a chateau yeah. someplace. Why on Dracula Militar at the chateau? He's you know sitting Dracula around in Island, yeah. Playing- Right. She's playing, you know, the piano for him. Well, it's that Um, I think it's that interplay we were talking about. Like, do you believe because eventually it feels more like especially when he gets nefarious with Dr. Edelman as far as the transfusion goes. But it seems like he might actually believe this. Maybe I should become human. And it depends on how you if you truly believe that. But he also he doesn't bite her here. He's kind of laying the groundwork. Yeah. And he might do that and there's kind of like when he's doing more transformation and you know closer to his end you get the impression okay well he's changed his mind like he just likes being dracula too much to really follow through with this plot yeah i i think he's i do think maybe he's conflicted and also maybe you know he's dracula so he he takes his time there's there's quite a bit of vampire foreplay going on here, right? right? I mean, this is what he enjoys. He enjoys the control and the they make fun in the in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode with Dracula, like the thrall. They always talk about thrall. Mm-hmm. He's like really enjoys, you know, having having the women under his thrall before then he finally goes and he savors that that process. And then I think when as things start going wrong for him, he's like, Oh, well, you know, screw it. We'll just we'll just go straight to the bite. But there's a great bit here where they he wants to lead Melissa outside and she's they're standing in the in the hall uh he's staying next to her and in the mirror you see you don't see him and it's a really really well done mirror gag you know this humongous full-length floor-to-ceiling mirror and nina sees it uh yeah that's amazing that's when she she knows she, she learns that he's dracula but it's a really nicely done bit so that so the the actress uh martha odriscoll would have had to play the role twice right she's playing it standing there with Carradine next to her and then at some point she's playing it in a reverse shot where they they superimpose her in the mirror and stuff like that. And it's like, I mean, I've seen even in more expensive, earlier, bigger budget universal movies, that mirror gag not done quite as well. It's done for one mm-hmm. reason or another. It was done really well. In this, it, it takes you a minute before you're like, wow, Dracula's not there. Oh, yeah. It's, and it, Nina's reaction is just great as also. Uh, mm-hmm. And when she tries to say like, whoa, we actually do have a vampire in our midst. And, yeah, this, is, here's the bit where really she goes to like, why are we helping Count Dracula? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, no, he really is. Like, this isn't parasites, yeah. right? Parasites yeah, don't do no, that. This is That's a real amazing. vampire. We're probably well, Dr. back to kind of a bit from Dracula 31 where, you know, when Van Helsing first sees Dracula, it takes him, a, you know, a few different a few different times for him to be convinced of this. So I think, you know, the the first shot was obviously through that through the cigarette yeah, um, the mirror. box with the mirror in, you know, sees Dracula and he's, you know, kind of, you know, questioning what he's seeing. And then Dracula moves across the room and he kind of looks down the mirror again. It's kind of the same thing with here, you know. She sees him in front of that, like you said, that beautiful long shot. Yeah. And then they move over to the door and he opens up the door, looks back at the mirror and still sees only Melissa. So it, and I just, it brought me back to that 31 where now she, now she has her, her proof. That's, you know, I like the reprise just, of that gag. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm not sure it's why also, Dracula's clothes don't show up in a mirror, but you know, we, you, you have to go with all this stuff. It's, it's fun. Um, it's also, you know, plays a fat, a little bit fast and loose with the, with the supernatural parts. Like we have this, but he doesn't have to be invited in originally. Yes. And also these parts are always fascinating too, because what you have is Dracula, Not he knows that there's a mirror there, but he's yeah. so comfortable with this corruption and this idea that he's willing to just drop the pretense. That's interesting. Uh, he's very comfortable with this. Like, here's the, I don't care if people know I'm evil or whatever. He doesn't, I mean, he, he wouldn't reveal, I think if he knew Nina was there, but right. he's at the point where it doesn't matter Again, the thrall, like it doesn't matter now that show his cards, basically. Yeah. And uh, and that's a really interesting part of when Dracula does that and when he feels most in control, how he's willing to do that. 
I absolutely agree. It, it, yeah, you can see just the confidence. And again, not knowing Mina was there, he really believes that it's it's him and uh, Melissa. So he's letting what we're seeing now isn't Baron Latos. This is full on Dracula. And and but this is finally what uh, wakes Edelman up, for lack of a better term, is that he realizes Mertz is, is in danger. I, I like the moment where Dracula has to figure out what what a Thursday is. Like I like Dracula having to you know, like <laughs> worry about the days of the week for some reason. Like hang on, let me look, let me check my planner. So Edelman, who you know, Nino leads him to, you know, after Nina confronts him about Dracula, he decides, okay, well, I'm going to have to go take care of this. Cause again, I've, I've brought this into my house and it's threatening the people I care about. But first he tells Nina, if I'm going to go out and deal with it, if, if it doesn't work out, you have to go down into the basement and there's a coffin down there and you have to burn it. And he's got a great line. It has to be destroyed by fire, mm-hmm. which is a great, I just, I want to, I want to tape that, that just that line and, and use this as my voicemail or something. Um, you know, <laughs> kill, it's, the, it's, it's the predecessor of the kill it with fire. So, but, but Edelman goes out and he's going to run out and he's going to, you know, he sort of, uh, he sort of C blocks Dracula a little bit there. Just Dracula's really starting to think like, I'm just going to go for it. You know, it's, it's, I'm on the cliffs, the water's there, the moon's out. Let's, you know, it's the perfect moment. But he goes off down and interrupts what's about to happen and plays it cool. And he's like, oh, no, no, it's uh, we got to do the transfusion. I decided to bump it up. He he uh, he does. Like you said, Tony, like he kind of he kind of fakes Dracula out, which is which is a ballsy move because because there is a, a very real danger of Dracula turning on him or something. But but like you said, like Dracula, OK, well, if you, you're the doctor, let's let's do this. And again, Tony, maybe you're right about him. Leg- and Dr- I'm talking about Dracula legitimately wanting help. I mean, at this point, if he's got Melitza and they're like ready to run off. Why doesn't he just kill Edelman and just be done with it? I mean, he uh, yeah. willingly now goes back in and now they're doing a whole other transfusion. And he said, Dracula says to Melissa, you know, go up to your room and wait for the music. Right. It's going to play right. again. And, you know, then you, you come find me. So, yeah, Tony, you might be right, man. You might be right. Well, up until the point, like, again, this leads to the transfusion, which also, you know, once once he realizes Edelman is in on like knows what's going on is where he goes fine humans can't trust them you know can't eat all of them but also can't (laughs) trust them fine if this is the way it's gonna be i'm gonna have my way uh and you know switches the you know once edelman's out and nobody's around he switches it and says fine be a vampire then if you want to kind of hypnotize uh nina or yeah nina and uh yeah and then, yeah, he's he's going to reverse it. So this is, I think, his uh, plan B. They're like, okay, fine, I'll... Let's talk about this. This, I mean, this is a pivotal scene for Edelman, right? So he's yeah. laying down and he's, you know, for the transfusion. And so a skip line that we, we didn't mention is, so Dracula had just had a transfusion not that long ago. So Edelman's relatively right. weak. You got to remember, he's, you know, this is Edelman's right. blood. So now he's for a second transfusion, not that much in the future. So Edelman is passed out exhausted so obviously they're hooked up on um, the tubes between edelman and dracula so dracula then extracts his blood turns a little dial and then injects edelman with you know his parasitic vampiric yeah. blood yeah. and leaves and he renfields him yeah Renfields him. Yeah. Right? He, edelman gets renfielded yeah we get in this <laughs> needs we to get you know cutting a cutting away i i referred it to as we get near dark and reverse near dark in the same movie yeah yeah, we, we, we go dark near. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So there's um, a, a scene really quick. And Tony, do you take it from here? So Edelman's room, and you mentioned Jack, Jekyll and Hyde. 
So we get our super chocolate and hide moment right here. Right. Well, he, you know, he starts thinking about, you know, what he's going to do. And, you know, eventually this leads to him being the mad scientist. And actually, as far as I can tell, and again, somebody will probably say, oh, no, it was done in this. He actually becomes the first vampire mad scientist that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, yes, historically, no as far as I know, historically, sure. this is the first vampire mad scientist. I could be totally wrong. Yeah. But when I look at the history of monster movies that I know of, this is it. Um, he he changes. He has almost, uh, you know, his makeup, his facial expressions change. And, you know, it, hair. it's really cool. Yeah. I enjoy it becomes almost a Caligari kind of mm-hmm. look. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. This real high key. Yeah. The way that they, they shoot it, the way they, they light it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He from now, become from now on, Dr. Adamon will be carrying a, a light shooting up from underneath him everywhere he right. goes. There's constantly, he's constantly underlit in this very ghastly way. It's like if he's outside in the alley in the town or if he's inside the castle, he's always underlit now. And it just, it adds to that menace. Yeah. Also, his poor cat who constantly has to hiss at vampires. Yeah. Like he just can't, all he wants to do is sleep and be a cat. And yet he has to tell the rest of the humans, like, bad people are in the room. That's right. It's his job now. (laughs) I was like, bringing us back to man made monster. It's like the minute animals turn against you, you know something's wrong. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're done. You know, it's an interesting combination we have because because really, and, and I'll, I'll step back to the Wolfman for just a second. You know, the Wolfman is really universal, cl- classic universal horror's greatest creation because they mm-hmm. didn't create Dracula and, and Frankenstein. Those were extant, you know, pre-species of literature that they adapted and made their own. The Wolfman was more or less created out of a whole cloth, just some some based on a few Eastern European myths and then kind of the Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, everything that we know about the Wolfman is really an invention of, of universal, the, the, the full moon, the turning, you know, turning on a full moon, the silver bullet. And a lot of that stuff is really, there's basis for it in myth, but it is really a pop culture invention of cinema uh, from universal. So mm-hmm. what's interesting is we have this now we're, now we're taking Edelman as a, as a pseudo vampire, as a vampiric creature, as a ghoul or whatever, whatever you want to say that he's been turned into this halfway state now uh, of a vampire where he's, he's transforming from a human to a vampire, which doesn't, you know, Lugosi doesn't transform from a normal person into, into Bella Lugosi. He's always looks kind of like Dracula. Right. So now you, you get this like, this cool Jekyll and Hyde transformation. So, so now we have two characters that are suffering from this duality of, 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 of humanity. You know, one, one is the human decent person, Dr. Edelman or, or, or Lawrence Talbot. And the other is the monster that lurks inside them now. Well, it's this whole turn of corruption. Yes. And that's also, there's a corruption redemption that happens throughout this. I mean, yes. even when you think about the science in this is mold, which yes. can be awful and terrible. Right. And unless you use it, at, like if it's in your house, it can make you sick and possibly kill you. If it gets in your lungs, it's very yeah. hard to get. If things if these get in your lungs, it's very hard to cure people mm-hmm. uh, who have uh, any kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. mold in their lungs, etc. So it's a very, uh, but that corruption, we think of it, it breaks down things. And we turn that into science, penicillin, like you mentioned. So there is like this through line. This whether all of it was intentional, yeah. you know, whether it was subtext, sometimes it's just text throughout this of <laughs> the balance of corruption and redemption throughout. Because even, you know, we we get this like long, we get this scene of this kind of flashback scene, which is really nice. Like it's got this cool portal effect and yeah. everything. And that was amazing. Where oh, Edelman's, this, Edelman's flashback where he sees. Yeah. 
the history of the monster and he sees like six different actors playing the monster yeah we have, amazing. We have Carla, i love that we have, i love we the have framing shaney we have glenn strange we have uh, uh cheney stuntman yeah yeah we have a bunch of actors playing the the, the monster in this few world short segments. Yeah. So it's it's basically and, him going mad. Is I mean just yeah. these, these flashbacks. Yeah, right. Exactly. We have Kaloff and you know Bride of Frankenstein doing his thing. So at, at this point, Edelman knows he is going insane. So well, he also sees himself fade from the mirror. So he's yes. very right. here. But even then we have uh we have yet another We've got several ticking clocks throughout this. And the other one is, I don't know when I'm going to transform next. But before I do, I know some. I don't want to become Dracula. And you, he goes, I need to I need to cure Nina. I need to cure Talbot. However, right. that and has he needs to, to eliminate like, Dracula, though. Right, like, right. And we, we he's over that. curing yeah. Dracula at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows. Um, what's, in, what's funny, too, is as we as we move, progress through that, you know, he tells, he tells Nina, hey, you have to burn this with fire. But yet, in reality... We end up that there's just a window in this basement, which is always like not just a window, but a huge window. Well, it's it's the it's the exit to the caverns. That's how they discover it. Right, right, right. And it turns out, but but somehow they didn't know about this before. Yeah, I mean, he's able to just open the. They coffin talk about and, it. It's like an old secret passage or something. Right, but where the coffin is, it's like easily accessible to sunlight, which seems yeah. you like you would have learned by now. I mean, it's right, just, you right. know, but it, it does lead to an awesome fade away transition. I love this anatomical transition before he becomes just the skeleton that he does. Yeah, yeah. When he reveals uh, Dracula to, to the to the light and stuff, and, and uh, yeah, and I say that no, the minute Adama knows he's going mad, it's like he has this reflection. He's got this, you know, like this this honeydew list in his mind. Like, oh yeah, I've got to work on me Nina. I've got to work on Talbot, and I've got to kill Dracula. So, <laughs> I guess first, yeah. the first thing on his list is he goes after Dracula. He sees, um, you know, Dracula and Melissa. Um, so basically, chases. He pulls out his crucifix, chases Dracula back to the basement. Yeah. So Dracula, now sensing that dawn is upon him, really can't do anything. He's about to become powerless. So you know, puts or climbs back into his coffin, shuts the lid. Adamon, you know, drags the coffin into the sunlight, yeah. opens up the lid, and Dracula is no more. We have a you know really quick transformation from. Uh, from Carradine to skeleton. Yeah, and there's a nice setup for this bit where right at the beginning when when Dracula uh, first meets Edelman, they're walking and talking, and Dracula asks him, uh, but you do believe in something beyond life or, or humanity, right? And Edelman says, well, yes, as a man of faith, of course I do. So, oh, so it's yeah. nice because the cross doesn't come out of nowhere. Like Edelman does balance science and his faith in 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 these equal portions and that's a nice I, I never noticed that before until watching this last time like okay they set that up a little bit that's that's clever. yeah and it's so it's early on but it's interesting to see his i mean he can't do it he's got to believe it once he sees his reflection fade right yeah but as yeah. he's progressing he goes from i think this can still be explained by science into the realm yeah. of there's a lot of stuff i'm dealing with that i'm just gonna have to take it on faith grab the crucifix yeah, literally yes. take it on faith, right? Right, exactly. Because <laughs> the the beginning of the movie, Doubter, you can explain a lot of things away about Dracula, but not that that somehow holding the cross put him in, into fear, maybe. Like, and and Edelman in his finally now in his altered state, he actually does accept that. So it it tracks really well. And you know, you can you can talk about this film's shortcomings, but but it it does have its its own uh, logic internal logic that, that follows through. And I also I think if anything I think the main I think some of the the film's faults if anything are since it is a monster mash each monster especially how they're 
how things play out for how they end is there's yeah. a lot of brevity. There's more yeah. brevity than I would have wanted. Everything gets shortchanged. Yeah. Yeah. Everything kind of happens like, Oh, look, Dracula dies. Okay. Now onto the next thing. Uh, and that, that I think would be one of the, I think if you're going to leverage any faults, it's just, we have to move this along and you yeah. make those choices. I mean, yeah. You know, as well as I do, you make those choices when you're writing. Oh, well, right. we got to well, end it here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have you have three amazing characters, and you have one hour and seven minutes to tell the story. It's 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 a very brief film. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, nowadays you do this, and it would be a two hour film, obviously, and you'd have a lot more. Uh, meat on the bone but so at this point edelman kills dracula and understands you, you mentioned it really well tony he's got a timeline he knows he's sick and there's really no catalyst for when he turns back and forth to this mad doctor i mean you know yeah. but obviously it's the moon and so for whatever reason just it, it seemed like at random times edelman becomes mad so he knows he's now in a mad <laughs> no pun intended a mad rush to mm. cure talbert and nina so he goes immediately goes to work on Talbert. So he goes, has the surgery, Talbert recovering in the room, and Adelman goes mad. And then and he's kind of poking around the room or poking around his grounds. He sees his man, his employer, just a, a, a yard person, Siegfried, going into town on a carriage. So jumps on the carriage with Siegfried, goes into the goes in the town. It's, it's kind of a cool scene. He's basically just yeah. he's taunting this poor Siegfried. And this- well, you know, it's really creepy. It's a nice, it's a nice process screen where, you know, they're in front of a, a, a screen where everything's, uh, you know, they've shot film of rolling through a countryside of some kind, probably, in, you know, up in Malibu or something. And, and it's rolling by as, as, and so, so the, this dialogue scene takes place at like 30 miles an hour, which is a neat kind of, you know, way to kineticize the, the the drama and they they roll into town uh into the little town which is which is you know i i think it's it's just more of your universal's old Euro, european uh town that they filmed the wolfman and and you know frankenstein and, and everything else and before it, it burned down in the i believe 60s but but when he jumps on the cart larry talbot sees him and that's that's kind of critical it's well, like he, he he sees him jump in the cart and, and leave yeah so they also build tension because larry talbot has this rear window moment right yeah watching but it's very important that talbot not get excited exert himself right because mm-hmm. that will undo yeah. possibly they don't know really yeah but they yeah. have a but, pretty good idea if he exerts himself so yeah. we can't get angry between we wouldn't he like can't run down and stop it yeah so yeah, he's he in this was. like again this rear window kind of thing where like did i really see that i don't know but if i do if i run down will i and everybody else knows hey don't do that we don't want you to kill yourself. We don't want right. you to kill others. Well, so it also creates could, a tension could, there too. Yeah. I mean, it also could it not only could undo the thing, but he has just gotten out of an operation. I mean, it's kind of, he's, right. he's physically recovering too. But so they get into the, they roll in the town and uh, Dr. Edelman and this uh, Siegfried guy and Siegfried, you know, that takes a turn and Siegfried kind of rolls out of, they have a fight. So, so Edelman attacks and ends up killing Siegfried. So during yeah. the attack, they lose control of the horses and the carriage, you know, tips yeah. over so once they land in the villages, of course, here, this huge commotion run over. So Dr. Edelman, who, of course, now is, you know, the mad doctor, yeah. runs now back to the Edelman castle, the Edelman estate. But what they find in the hand of Siegfried is his little, is Edelman's um, medallion, like a little medical badge. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, in yeah. his hand, there's his credentials. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with his and, his name and the whole thing. So right. I'm sorry, but we we haven't talked about him yet. But there's there's an there's a, a character named Steinmull 
played by a, an actor named Skelton Nags. And he's popped up a few times before when uh, Larry arrests himself. He's like, there's a murderer there, you know. When they're lowering Edelman down into the thing, they hire Steinmull. And Steinmull is is Siegfried's brother, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And who, I mean, you're just going to, K-N-A-G-G-S, you're just going to have to yeah. Google him, anyone listening, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with him, because he's a unique looking individual and they they really play him up. He's he's like Dwight Fry cranked up to 11 a little bit. He's got this weird delivery and whisper and he's got this, this uh, sorry, but but very pockmarked, very damaged skin. And I, I feel like they greased him up or something because the guy's constantly moist. Yeah, right? he's very yeah. shiny. He's very shiny. Well, and he, he I reminded couldn't find me of... any, anything else about him or if he had his own glandular disorder or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, glance, he's right? such a cool presence though. And he's yeah. also, his voice is like kind of this modulated, kind of higher pitched, yeah. his delivery. He, he's oh, it's, it's so effective. almost yeah. in weird, like almost childlike in a way. Yeah. And the way you he delivers this things. Is the, this is the very closed minded villager who's never been, you know, out of the, out of the village and stuff, but he's dangerous in that there's something about him that he's like the, the rabble rouser kind of, you it's know, very suspicious. Yeah. 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 He's the kind one of a voice like, of reason. What, what? Yeah. But, but in, yeah, it's true. He's kind of like this. <laughs> We should go to the to Doctor Adelman's castle and and get him and and of course Lionel Adwell as as Inspector Holtz is like now hold on hold on hold on we'll do this through official channels and and Steinmull is all about the mob justice at this point right I just love this character actor so much though yeah. I this is the first time I remember seeing him in anything uh, he played gruesome in a bunch of the Dick Tracy serials. Uh, uh, well, that's now kind, I'm of, kind of like well now i want to go watch these, these dick tracy serials and stuff because he's he's fascinating I, I just find his presence on screen like anytime he sells the show when he's on screen he does he's and he's i just found that fascinating i i i although i am really drawn to character actors i right. think good character actors it's, it's nice when you have a, a really seasoned actor who has a really broad range but i still yeah. And maybe it's part of this monster movie fan in me. There's so much brilliant work that often gets kind of swept under the rug because they're not yes. the name people that that you know go down right. in history. But yeah, they're the, they make up yeah. this meat that like you need those oh, yeah. people in your movie to really solidify things. And I this guy is just fascinating oh, anytime he's on screen. We talk about uh, I mean, Dwight Dwight Fry, great. we say all the time. Yeah. I mean, Dwight yeah, Fry yeah. belongs exactly. on the Mount, the Mount Rushmore of of Universal and yeah, well yeah. too. I mean, you do not and, have the pa- the Patheon movies in Universal without Dwight right. and without. And we got into this cool a lot is... with uh, Rondo Haddon too. Is right. the the idea of and uh, which which our House of Horrors episode just uh, just dropped the idea that like Rondo Haddon is not getting cast in like a romantic comedy. He's not getting cast in like bringing up baby with Carrie with Carrie Grant or someone, you know. But because he doesn't, the way he looks doesn't fit in that. In, in for the audience of those types of movies but genre filmmaking does allow for people that are not the typical hollywood mold of of you know leading man or or supporting actor to to have a niche and and be able to to make a career and and affect you know like a, a permanent uh, impression on 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 filmmaking on on 20th century filmmaking and and if it goes from from dwight fry to to again ron O'Hadden to to uh the skeleton eggs i mean they're and they just color they had color to this 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 pocket universe of, of universal that's always just it's it's totally enjoyable i'm gonna do my best impression give me one <clears throat> dark dale mom killed my brother how's <laughs> that's that that's good that's not bad that's pretty good that's my first that's my first okay. attempt so yeah you really feel like there's something there's something like higher right. pitched and a little bit more whispery 
Yeah. You know, he's just there's I, but also how how cool is it? This this guy's name sounds like something you should take note of. I mean Skeleton Nag. Skeleton Nag is a, great. Yeah. Like a like, rock band. Is a, it's a rock band name, Tony. Because it's totally almost is. like skeleton. I want to see a presence. skeleton nags like trilogy, right? Yeah, I, I, his his presence in every yeah. scene I felt what really amazing. Oh. Also, you know, they don't sell it, but if you really wanted to sell this movie in the marketing, you would go also to count them two big mob torch scenes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. Like usually you get one, but here we get two. We'll talk about the second one, but yeah, you, know, you get you get lots of uh village rabble rousing in this film. Yes. We're yeah, almost yeah, to that yeah. point. I mean, I think we can almost we're I mean, we'll definitely in the you right. know final act of this film where we've got the torches and everything. So yeah, the villagers are pretty confident that the killer is either Dr. Edelman or you know, certainly somebody close to Edelman. Or 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 the Wolfman, or they they think or it is Talbot. Right. They know Talbot was there. Lionel Iowa's character, Inspector Holtz, is gonna go up there and strain this all out. Uh, meantime, Dr. Edelman has is returned to the castle and Larry Talbot sees him return and, and he's now uh, returned to, to normal. Um, I want to mention that Onslow Stevens had a, had a stunt double named Carrie Lofton uh, that did a lot of those tumbles out of the, the wagon and climbing up. There's Because there's a great chase scene in, in the mm-hmm. old Universal, uh, you know, European set where he's climbing up roofs and running around things and stuff like that. And his stunt double, Carrie, looked, I've seen a picture. Uh, uh, Scott, you posted a photo of them together oh, doing the makeup right? together yeah but she, oh yeah um, i mean on, on stevens that. doing doing the ghoulish makeup on carrie on a stunt yes. double carrie lofton yeah. and they look so much alike that i can't tell which is which and it wow. makes it look like dr adelman suddenly has this uncanny physical ability to right. like jump bionic and, man and climb things and fences and, yeah it's really yeah. effective yeah, yeah um but but so adelman comes back and he's returned to normal uh humanity now he goes to his room and there's a knock on the door and Talbot comes in in his dressing gown, you know, to confront him because he's seen, he saw him leave. He saw him come back. He, and, and Talbot is a guy who more than anyone understands the duality of man, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's his whole kind of deal. And in he, he's here to confront Edelman about this guy who did this wonderful thing for him. Right. And he's still appreciative of him. And he's still polite and respectful to the man, but he's like, dude you got a you got a problem you have to deal with it, right? right he's so he's right. so worried and it's it's all out of i don't say love but i mean just he yeah. knows i mean maybe it is love like he, he knows what adam or what edelman has you know done for there. him is at this point he doesn't know if he's cured or not but certainly the efforts that edelman has put in and he is you know as close as he's ever been to finding a cure and you know obviously understands what's going on with Edelman and, you know, right. Edelman goes into, you know, it's a nice little dialogue between the two of them that explains to Larry that his blood's been tainted by Dracula and yeah. basically asks him. And it's, it, it is, it goes back to a, it's a great little scene that, you know, of all people, Larry, you understand that, you know, you, if you need to do what needs to be done and you need to put me down out of any, if, you know, right. Basically the way that you can p- repay me for the help that I've given you is to give me peace. Ed- Edelman has come around to, to, to Larry's way of thinking that all monsters must be destroyed. Right. But again, he, he goes, Hey, but before we do that, because this is such a big thing, we have to cure Nina. Like I promised yes. her, yes. let's, let's concentrate on that. And it, and it makes that duality. It pushes that even more Yeah. because if they had just gone, Oh, look, he's a vampire. He's going to be the you know mad scientist vampire. Yeah, we wouldn't get any of that, and that that his his humanity is still struggling to hold on as it's being taken over, and and you feel like eventually it would be taken over. So he is racing against time, and it does create right. this this drama, you know, this, uh, kinetic motion towards the end of the thing. So in, Inspector Holtz shows up, and there's a uh, interrogation of 
Larry, right? And of course, you know, his, his, uh, the girl, you know, the nurse who has the hots for him, Melissa is like, no, no, he's been here all the time. Well, I mean, I haven't seen him at every moment. And, you know, so, so there's a lot of suspicion about, of, of Larry now that that's falling on him. Meanwhile, the mob is approaching the castle. Right. You get the torch, <laughs> we got the, you know, the universal torches and the torches and everything. Yep. So, yeah, it was shortly after the conversation, um, you know, between Talbert and Edelman or shortly after. Holtz's uh, when he gets into the house. So we kind of have now these dual or these parallel storylines. So now we have Larry confronting, you know, we have a full moon rising and it's kind of a really great oh, scene yeah. with Larry. Let me get to talk about this Larry and Mina and Melissa as the moon is rising and, you know, Larry basically going out to confront the full mm-hmm. moon with full belief that he may or may not be cured. And it's really, it's a great little scene. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful, this doesn't have to be a perfect film for it to have almost perfect moments within it. And and for me, this is a, a perfect moment, um, compromised slightly by the fact that he comes back as the Wolfman three years later and having to call me Frankenstein, but we'll leave that. But he does, he walks this thing and he tells everyone, like, stand back a bit. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. And he, he goes and he confronts this thing. And you realize the full moon is this thing he fears more than anything else. He doesn't fear dying. He doesn't fear bullets or fire or anything like that or, or drowning or something. He, he has no reason to fear anything. He fears the full moon because that is the thing that makes him into the monster. And he confronts it. And the look, the performance, the look on Lon Chaney Jr.'s face when he mm-hmm. looks right into the eye of the moon and doesn't change is beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. I mean, when he carries it so well. Yeah, it's for real. Because incredible actor, decades to him. Yes, uh, to the character of this is the part where I harm people, which is the thing I want to do the least. Yes, and to see that fall away and go, I no longer have to worry that every month I am going to destroy people's lives. Yes, and. You know, there's a lot of actors who probably could not have carried that moment in the same way. It's it's um, it's a it's, it's a simple underplayed moment that that he does he, he doesn't have to do much and he does it really well. So yeah, so now he doesn't have to worry about being the Wolfman anymore. All he has to worry about is the fact that his doctor is a vampire and the Frankenstein monster is right. in, on the pro, on the premise. Oh, Those are his it, only though. problems now, and the yeah. mob's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah. I mean, not not to rehash this, but it really it's probably 50, say fifteen seconds that the camera yeah. does not cut from Talbert. So it comes in, sees the the moon, and the lip is quivering, and he's grabbing at his cheek. I mean, he is fully expecting to transform into the Wolfman, and I'm yeah. not sure if it's his realization that he's not turning or. You know, he's remembering that part of his him being cured is the belief Mm -hmm. that he can be cured. And he, you know, kind of arches or his back, you know, straightens up and, you know, he looks, looks the moon dead in the eye and you can see like the confidence and he's almost like, you know, bring it on. And yeah, just, uh, you just have to see it guys. It's a really nice scene. You just said something that I, I, that clicked with me. I I don't know if I've ever realized that I'm, and I'm actually looking at the IMDB page. I'm looking at the stills from the, the movie and what you don't realize is that so so Cheney was six foot two or three. He was a big guy. In fact, he's bigger than everyone else. He's bigger than he's taller than Lugosi. He's taller than Karloff. So right. in these movies where he would, I mean, I think Glenn Strange is taller than him. But ironically, we think of the Wolfman as the smallest of the of the the trio, right? The, the big three and the the odd physical happenstance is that Cheney was actually the biggest person in the of the group. So he plays the Wolfman all hunched down and stuff like that. But what I realized when you just said this is like, now I'm thinking about every time Cheney is playing Talbot under the curse, there's a hunched thing going on. He's his shoulders are bent a little bit under the weight of everything. And there's this moment at the end of the film where he's staying there with with uh Melissa and holding the gun. And we'll get to that in a minute and stuff like and he is totally his back is straight. 
Right. He's, he's strained up. He his has shoulders are back. Yeah. Yeah. He's come into his own as I, he's, he's a man again. He's not, he's not a monster. He's a man. And it's, that's a subtle little bit of something going on there. That I, it's so easy to think of Cheney as this tortured guy with problems with his dad and his mom uh, trying to kill herself and, and, and all this time being forced into, you know, change his name to Lon Chaney Jr. when his name was Creighton and all that stuff um, by the studio. But then you go into something like, well, you watch of Mice and Men, of course, or something, but then you watch these moments like he has here and you see what a prodigiously powerful uh, talent the man was. Absolutely. And I agree. And I think to me, this is why I think of all things like I like to champion genre film. I again, I go over this in our other podcasts a lot. Like you should like what you like. I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong for not enjoying horror. Right. Like if that's not your bag, that's fine. But I don't like when people dismiss it as below them or somehow not invalid uh, because so much genre film holds a mirror and allows us to tell this tale. Even if you're True. a vampire and don't reflect in that mirror, it still holds a mirror right. to, uh, to our reality. True metaphor, though, which which is yeah. which can be more powerful than saying something directly, right? Right. And so there's these moments. Even in, again, this is not a perfect film by any stretch. Uh, and as I found as I went through these monster mash movies, trying to pick one, I was like, oh, these aren't my favorite Universal movies as far as ones I rewatch a ton of times. But all of these moments matter. And as yes. even if, if you're a filmmaker or a fan, finding that those bits is really it's this like nice kind of, you know, when you go to a flea market or uh, anytime you go to find you find this treasure within somewhere yeah. you didn't realize there was treasure, you know, seeing this, you know, again, you said the tortured soul actor who has this moment that is uh relevatory yeah in a, a movie that maybe some people go oh well i don't even i don't know if i've even seen that or that's not my favorite i prefer you know x y or z yeah. i think we're all searching for those moments of greatness and i you know having that in here is where i go hey don't dismiss this like you're missing some gems maybe they're yeah. in the rough but but if you search that out you 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 can broaden your perception as well as see you know oh it's not just this makeup wolfman Right. There's a there's a human. The human aspect is just as important. Yeah. And there's in no, this case, more so. There's no it doesn't matter if he was a werewolf or if he has something else wrong with him that that would be a conventional medical thing. It, it doesn't change the drama of the scene and it doesn't lessen the the import of the performance that, that he gives. It, it's it's just mm-hmm. a really wonderful moment. And you have to wait, you know, seven, you know, 55 minutes into the film to get to it. <laughs> but but it, it's right. it's almost even if everything else in this movie wasn't rock and roll awesome, which I which I do think it is. It's it's worth it. And it, it sets up this. So so now we're in the the finale of the film. I, Edelman, who was going to cure Nina, finally, his his dark side, his vampire side has taken over. And he said, no, nah, you know what? Instead, I'm going to revive the Frankenstein monster. Edelman is full mad doctor at this point. He's done full reviving. Frankenstein. He's got yeah. full Frankenstein. Vampire, vampire mad scientist. That's yeah, why exactly. I just still love that, that that's the trope here. I just, right. he's something, I can't he's something believe we've that. Never, he's something we've never yeah. seen before, which is kind of, it's really interesting. Yeah. And poor Nina comes in uh, to confront the doctor, not realizing he is mad. And the doctor, it's a really sad scene, kills poor yeah. cute little hunchback Nina. And she has oh. an awful death. I mean, chokes her out and she hits the floor and goes through that hole in the floor. And it's just- yeah, which is <laughs> oh, it's okay. so heartbreaking, too, especially because in his flashback, he sees her. Uh, he sees her cured and at yes. a you know, fancy ball. And she's. Right. And of course, the actress is glamorous and, and beautiful. And Do you guys when know he who... sees her cured, it's this fanciful, 
this is what I could do if I'm yeah. just allowed to apply my trade and be this uh, helpful doctor. And so when he, when, it, when she's killed, it's just, it's uh, even more tragic. It You're is right. ruins it. Do you guys know who Jane Addams uh, also played? What other famous uh, fictional character she played? Without looking it up, I, she was in the I, Batman I, I, and Robin I, serial. She played Vicky Vale. Oh, that's right. <laughs> she yeah. was Screen's first Vicky Vale. That's amazing. Oh wow, great. I mean, you look at her picture without the hunch, of course, and she is absolutely a knockout. She's she's beautiful. She she did a lot of adventure serials and stuff. I mean, she she had a uh, she she had a lot of good stuff, and I want to I want to check her out in other stuff too. We're finding a lot yeah. of we're finding a lot of crossover between Universal and. Batman. We are, we are. Uh, yeah, between uh, you know, Charles Napier and in, in House of Horrors, mm-hmm. which uh, some of the directors, like, you know, they went on to direct Batman '66. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Also, no, personally, yeah. as far as Hollywood goes, I'm, I'm brunettes are where I'm at. So, <laughs> <laughs> so on a personal level, like Nina, he's gonna be looking up Jane Adams from now on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just that's just me. You know, everybody has. She's, you know, you have. Yeah, she's what a you like, man. and yeah, yeah. and so, Tony, you know, but uh, she's she's amazing. Tony, you are now the Baron of Brunettes. <laughs> Baron of Brunettes. I'm changing. I into prefer you. the other one, but you know, I mean, whatever. Hey, whatever. I'll, I'll take a. Um, you know, we we can uh, be again. This is film, right? We can have duality. A, duality. You yeah. can we, be positive, and yeah, we, we can, can have a positivity lot of positivity, and then there's the Baron of negativity. <laughs> I hope I never that. If I ever yes. get that, I hope somebody that, tells me. That's your dark uh, side. My wife is you, really you good hope Larry at Talbot comes up and goes, dude, dude, you're becoming the Baron of negativity. Yeah, my wife's really good at calling uh, me out if I'm <laughs> too, good. you know, it's easy to get cynical sometimes. So mm-hmm. I think we all need those people in our lives who go, hey. Yeah, for sure. So now we, we're we're into the finale. Uh, Edelman has uh, returned the Frankenstein monster to his, if not full power, like, you know, up up to speed, right? Right. Because he wants to make him even stronger. His whole thing is, I can yeah. make, you know, using my vampire Dr. Jekyll powers. Powers, right. I'm going to make him even, like, you thought he was strong, but <laughs> you no always doubt. Say the power or the strength of 100 men. I mean, that's a reoccurring, how they how they explain or how they describe the monster's strength. I mean, Igor, yeah. all the time, it's always the strength of 100 men. I want to go the strength of 100 men. So, yeah, yeah Edamon uses that same. Um, yeah. Okay. So the monster oh. comes off the table. The villagers come in and, I mean, obviously Talbert and um, Melissa come in. Yeah, so there's a, a little standoff in. and yeah, little Edelman is yeah. coming at them. He's he's threatening them. He's he's saying awful things. He's 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 surrendered to this. He's he's lost his humanity. From out of nowhere, yeah. Larry Talbot pulls an automatic. I'm not sure where, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but OK. With a silver TCB. bullet. Yeah. Oh, does it have a silver bullet in it? Uh, no, no, no. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> it would I make was like, sense oh my God, if that's, it did. You know. That might have been his last, that might been his last he... resort. Yeah, if Edelman's uh, surgery didn't help, that might have, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, well there also, it plays it pretty fast and loose because if he's truly a vampire, a bullet wouldn't right. do much. Like we know. So he's this, he's a weird in-between uh, yeah. character. He sure. also hasn't when he attacks. Go, hey, you know he's yeah. a he's a whatever Edelman is at this point. Well, he when, when he's attacking Sieg, Siegfried, he doesn't drain his blood. They say he he tears his neck out. So he's something a little bit in between, I think, where he's he's, he's sort of just yeah. been turned into the he's gotten mm-hmm. the psycho psychopathy k- killer of 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 the vampire, but maybe not the powers yet. I guess. I mean, we could we could extrapolate. Like, if you wanted to, I mean, if you want to get the no prize version of it well the yeah. parasites are in him but he hasn't gotten the full dracula changing treatment yeah but i think they're again all... we're just not supposed to worry about that right yeah we're not yeah we're that's fine and I'll, and I'll buy into that that's fine but i like the talbot like you know yeah he's returned to a human being now and stuff like that but he's been through some stuff and when 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 edelman comes at him he just he shoots him 
Yeah, he's got the girl on his arm and puts him down immediately. And again, another sad scene because we know what Edelman has done for Larry. And yeah, see the torment on you know on, on Larry's face as he pulled the trigger, knowing that he's finally giving giving him peace. I mean, he's giving yeah. him almost like the redemption moment. At the same time, Larry went through all this so he wouldn't have to kill anymore, and he's forced to kill one more time. And it's right. a little true. A little yeah. I, yeah, I am curious, and I like to think about. You know, movies leave an impression on me. I like to think past the movie. And you kind of got to wonder, does he retire to the countryside? Right. Or does he, you know, every once in a while, somebody goes, Larry Talbot, I know you're not immortal anymore, but I need you to take care of a monster. Exactly. Strap on his automatic and go be Larry Talbot monster hunter. There's a great comic book series there or something like that. (laughs) That would be amazing. At this point, he has uh, collected a unique uh, skill set, let's say. Right. Like he's, and he understands. He's, he, he knows what being monstrous involves. Right, right, right. And, and he's he also got to be torn by the fact that despite everything, he couldn't save Nina. And, uh, you know, that's got to weigh on you. Or he couldn't yeah. save Edelman. Right, right, right. It's just, a, I mean, there's just a native tragedy to to Larry Talbot's character that... that that always it's his character's very noir he's always pulled back into it he's always he thinks he's done he thinks he's he thinks someone killed him and then he's back to life and this happens and he's back to life and stuff so he's he's trapped in this thing so so the frankenstein monster is is alive now and 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 rushing and you know going about the thing and doing what he does which is like it's like when your friend says hey can i bring a friend to the party and you're like sure and then cut to four hours <laughs> yeah. later and that guy's drunk hitting on everybody's girlfriend and like breaking everything right yeah. just you didn't so, tell me that your friend takes his shirt off the first yeah. that the first time he's really drunk. Like exactly, exactly. Why did you bring he's, shirtless? Oh, he, somebody gets shirtless when he drinks tequila. Why'd you let him drink tequila? Yeah, like, yeah. If you knew this, like, come on. It seems like this could have been prevented, right? Um, yeah. To me, right now, you're seeing the reason that Kaloff walked away from this role. I mean, there is nothing for this monster to do right. but roam around. He's thrashing around. He, comes after Talbert and Talbert knocks over a chemical, basically just a shelving of, of chemicals and the lab is on fire. So Talbert yeah. and Litza, the villagers escape through one door. And then literally we have a total steal, total steal from the ending of ghost of Frankenstein. I yeah, haven't covered right. it on the podcast yet. We will, but literally they cut the last 10 seconds of ghost of Frankenstein. And that's what you have for your finale of this film, which that's pretty fire bad. The end. The end. It's, just, yeah. it's ignoble in many ways because it, you've just had all of this tension and and tragedy, and then all of a sudden, like, by the way, the fire. And, and but, did they it, not it, think it, anybody it was, was going? Well, they, did they not think being the filmmakers, anybody was going to remember? I mean, remember this ending? I mean, literally, it's the ending of Ghost <laughs> of Frankenstein. But you, you know, people know. couldn't watch movies over and over again back then. I'm sure they were yeah. like, yeah, you know, this came out a couple years ago, and I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, the, the also, monster. you might go, "Hey, I love that ending," and go, right. "Look, it's that ending again." Because <laughs> you, I mean, there's no VHS. Yeah. Well, you know what the um, irony is, and I can't take credit for this, but when Talbert says, "You know, run away," it's a Frankenstein monster, and the scene is actually from Ghost of Frankenstein, where where Cheney played the monster. So he's basically right. saying, "Run right. away from myself." Yeah. So <laughs> you can think yeah. about it. It's true. Um, it's pretty meta. And I look. I yeah. love that the mob shows up just in time to like run away. Like the mob doesn't really, they break into the house, but they don't do anything. By the time they show up ready to, ready to take care That's of time uh, to go back, whoever yeah. they see the Frank's the monster and they all turn and run away. <laughs> like this is I just, what we sign I up like, for. Since again, you know, if you want to capitalize it, you'd say there's not just one, but two mob scenes in this one. Like yeah. if you love torches and crowds, this has twice right on, you know, the, uh, um, the amount like I, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what else they, you know, what else they get riled up about? 
Like I heard yeah. there's a scarecrow and this like <laughs> this village just oh yeah man that, every time I go to that village there's like twice a week this guy's been picking they, my turnips yeah like, <laughs> all of these torches like you don't even Any know excuse. how many like part of their export or import export is oily rags <laughs> and wooden right. torches like all yeah, the yeah. makings of torches like wow i just i went to this warehouse and it was just torches and like this ones. other warehouse full of pitchforks <laughs> yeah, yeah we seem to use a lot of these yeah, um, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, at a drop of a hat it's time to to it's to just ravel rouse it's a shame how shortchanged the monster gets in this and and, and absolutely and i guess it's there's just not a lot of room for him here it's, and that's it's, a shame i think and when i think about you you have to make choices as a filmmaker on what you're going to concentrate on but it always does make me sad when, and I have had a couple things where I feel like I've rushed things I've written uh, yeah. in, in com, and especially in like in one of the comics I read, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I would have more time for this. But you kind of don't need the Frankenstein part as much. I guess you wouldn't have yeah. the 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 Jekyll Hyde part that would have been right. You know, there's, there's no there's nothing for him to do without that monster. Yeah. But given how little time, I, I mean, it makes a great poster, right? And you kind of of course need that. you get. You get Frankie's face on there, yeah. But, but it's a but again, shame it's that, thing that where you, he gets shortchanged. Yeah, again, it's that thing where you have an hour-long movie. If it was an hour and a half movie, then that third act probably would have been the right. monster issue. I mean, Dracula is the first act, Larry Talbot's the second act, uh, Monsters the third and stuff. And and uh, uh, Scott and I, Tony, always joke about Universal just ending their movies like yeah. really fast. Like you, you can see, like the producers, like all right, yeah, just have it, have them show up, and then everything goes on fire, and there's a whole bunch of thing. And we roll credits and we save money and stuff. But this movie doesn't end as much as the the, the plot just sort of falls off the edge of a cliff. Right. Of, right in the last minute. Them and Shaw Brothers. Shaw Brothers will do the bump. Oh, yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, and the evil guy was taken care of. Like a, a final blow. Ah! And then, you know, Universal and Shaw have that yeah. similar kind of thing. I and, mean, you I know, mean, there, there could have been so much more meat. Like if, what if Talbot is cured? So he no longer is immortal. He no longer has yeah. that strength. He's a human. Like yeah. that aspect of having the, now a human who was a monster has to deal with the Frankenstein monster. Right. That would which, have been really which, a really tough thing. But again, you have X amount of money. You have to make choices. So that's yeah. right. You I would argue that, that while this one ends kind of abruptly, we do sort of pick up again with Abner Costomi Frankenstein where, where Larry Talbot has literally chased dracula and the monster all the way to america now true to 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 i mean larry talbot does become the ghostbuster he he becomes the and again he's he's, he's the hero he's the monster fighter yeah, like he himself is a monster but he great. fights his own kind he's hellboy he's you know whatever modern uh uh parallels you want to want to uh create and that is the movie so <laughs> yeah man credits roll and um we're done with the we're done with the monster and um so this has been a ton of fun guys really really it's a great pick tony yeah, yeah of all the mo movies we could have done like you said we could have quote unquote you know better films or you know certainly more critically acclaimed more films. celebrated films yeah yeah more celebrated yeah. films i'm so happy we did this this was a blast i yeah, love this purely movie. i mean I, I can't take too much credit i think my subconscious can take more credit because i just mm -hmm. i thought about everything we could cover and went oh, i love monster mashes again like i said when i thought about seeing things uh i thought of the monster mash storybook records that i i had as a kid and went let's find this one and this one just to me was the most fun of the of the three when well, you're you're list. i know you're such a huge godzilla fan so you basically just picked destroy all monsters but the universal version right right <laughs> and how can you not i think right. i guess
but uh i i just really this one just had the most interesting ideas overall yeah. uh and so and fun. had the most kind of progressive feel in a way and sometimes that term gets maligned but i think we're seeing a film that's gone through you know we've gone through so many other monster movies universal you know has had all these different yeah. things and seeing this kind of like hey we're gonna do this we're gonna we're gonna see this redemption arc we're gonna see this corruption we're gonna play with that more is and this, that this is also to me. Yeah, it's also one of when universal's first post-war films that leads it into another era as we get into you know the, the brute man trilogy they tried to do in, in starting in 46 with house of horrors and getting into like like they start assigning a lot of noir directors uh, to come out, to coming over and doing uh, the Captive Wild Woman series and stuff. Universal changes after this, and this is like, yeah, we come back for for Abbott and Costello, but this is one of the last hurrahs of the the yes, this if is, you want to call it the golden age of Universal horror this, as we move into the Silver Age. Oh, for sure. So yeah, it was a great, great pick, Tony. That was yeah, good. Thanks so, so like, much. Yeah, no, no, to me, man. Thank you so much. No, really, I was looking forward to this episode for a long time, having you on and. Very, very appreciative of that. And if you're listening, definitely check out Castle of Horror. They've been around, gosh, 10 plus years, 300 plus episodes. Yeah. If you want to see where this this media of you know horror podcasting, podcasting in general started and people that are just having a blast and doing it the right way, Castle of Horror, check them out. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And uh, yeah. Jim, of course, always a pleasure, sir. Hope As you always, man. It was, it was fun to get into this with you, Tony. It was great uh, rapping with you about this one. This is this is a good episode. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Hopefully, hopefully your listeners, and I know you guys have been doing well, hopefully they enjoy it too. I'm always a nervous wreck. You know, I never want to be the person who's the albatross. So I'm hoping no. that listeners enjoy this as well. Not at all. No, they're going to dig it. Good big time. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining the Bogle Pass Horror Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Take, Take it easy. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.